little bit late because we've been on holiday. But before you get started on this episode of Zapped to the Past, we would just like to say thank you to the following people. Andy Marsh, Cole Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Osa, 2000DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Joshua Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Wettingfield, Niall Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Tyus Aberg, Phil Sowerby, Joshua K, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Steve Perrant, Nick James, Daniel Spreadbury, Peter Price, Richard Davey, Johan Rubstad Lilia, Dennis Brekhus, AL82 Retro, and Liam Carew. These awesome people have chosen to back our Patreon at the C64 tier, and we are hugely appreciative of the support they offer. If you want to join them and get a mention in next month's shout-out, access to our Discord server, any special releases we put out, early access to episodes and other cool stuff, then sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past for little more than the price of a pint of beer. It helps us keep playing the games so you don't have to. And now, on with the show. And welcome to episode 77 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last time we looked at our first batch of games from issue 34 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were perturbed by Platoon, surprised by Super G-Man, and boogied down to beat it. This week, we continue our look at the games in February 1988, along with what was also going on in the UK albums chart that month. So, Graham, inform us of the order of events for this week. Crabulon, attack! In this roadside farm shop selling horse-only carrots, the biggest onions in the known universe, sacks of used potatoes, a selection of homemade beetle-based preserves, a local cider called Eye Strainer, and an unusual collection of hand-carved wooden egg cups and neck massages of an episode. We take our best flying saucer for an unwanted spin through a black hole and then have to seek and destroy star cells across the numerous levels of the brilliant Hunter's Moon, try and unpick the Spanish to German to English comedic paradigms of an unfunny comic-turned-game in the utterly unfathomable clever and smart, fly a war teapot, and then run right and jump a lot in the fiery arcade conversion world of Psycho Soldier and pop on our best dungeon helmet and blindly stumble around the ridiculous corridors, rooms, nouns and verbs of the decidedly dodgy nightmare. If that collection of unusual local vegetables hasn't raised your curry game and you're now pondering what a black bean stalk and asparagus quiche might taste like... We also go full-colour, medium-res, isometric puzzle-solving in the garish and somewhat sluggish inside-outing, explore the utterly confusing world of the bipedal feline Olympiad motorcyclist in the heavily dithered bad cat, jump into the cockpit of a pastel-coloured biplane and take to the pastel skies on a mission to find excitement in the difficult and pedestrian flying shark before climbing into another warship cockpit, this time destroying the progressive shoot-em-up landscapes and explore the 3D maze warships of the bewildering and annoying 
vengeance. Again with the average and again with the mediocre. If only a nod was as good as a wink to a blind bat. Eh? 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This could be... Uh, I've got a feeling this week's <laughs> average is low. <laughs> well, let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens, shall we? I think one of the things we should actually say is, because we haven't actually mentioned it yet, I mean, this may be coming a bit out a bit late, but... Um, had to see Ollie Frey. Yes, uh, the passing a, of Ollie a real, Frey. A real loss. A yeah, real, massive. genuine loss. Um, don't don't really know what to say about it. Really, I mean, he just was the visual influence of a lot of my teenage years with his amazing artwork for Zap. Just you know. Yeah, a key influence, I think, on your perception and understanding of the C64 world through the iconographic images that he drew of the people mm-hmm. in terms of the sort of caricatures because they're they're amazing in of themselves. Yeah, but also that. Those just those the amazing the amazing talent that's on display every time he draws something. Yeah, it always blows my mind how good Ali Frey was and how I mean that, that the rate he drew things is crazy crazy because I mean just the stuff as that would be enough for me. I mean I'm, I I can't draw for peanuts. It would take me a billion years to come up with anything as good as that. It'd yeah, never happen. In fact, no, it wouldn't. But to do it for Crash and for Zap and for all of his own personal work and all the other stuff, it's just amazing to have that much artistic skill. It's such a sad loss, and I, my my condolences go out to his family and everybody else uh, that sort of knew and worked with him. I, I'd never had that privilege, but what an amazing guy! What an amazing guy mm. and a legacy of amazing things that he drew. So yeah, and and even just looking through the latest. This one we're doing, issue 34, the little kind of interstitial drawings that um, punctuated the reviews to sort of bring them a bit more to life rather than just the screenshots. I'm just looking at the fire trap one and the guy hanging onto the side of the building. It's just, yeah, completely. you know, just amazing stuff. So it's a very, very sad loss. Rest in um, peace, Oliver Frey. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah. <sighs> what a sad week. It is. A sad week. Anyway, let's hope the game's more than make up for it. Should we get into our first one? I think we should. Let's get into it then. Let's get into our first game. <laughs> And that first one is Hunter's Moon. Hunter's Moon. Good title, that. Like the title. Uh, this is a full price. Got a Sizzler, 92%. It is a Martin Walker game. Um, it is Martin Walker's fourth game after the uh, interesting but confusing Chameleon, um, the slight misfire of Back to the Future, and the ramblings of Rupert Bear, which took us down Rupert as Travis Bickle. Um, I seem to remember back in the day. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Rupert Hall we didn't uh, we didn't envisage, but there it was. Yeah, there it was, right the, dark, the Dark Rupert trilogy that we uh, never saw finished. Dark Rupert. <clears throat> dark Rupert. Yeah. Anyway, this is all Ma- <laughs> this is all Martin uh, Walker for design mostly, uh, design, coding, and sound effects. Uh, they were all created by Mr. Walker, and the music here is by Matt Gray. There is some, I think Dan, some of the other sort of thing, but he just did like the loading stuff and some tech around the things. But it's all Martin Walker. This is Martin Walker's game, essentially, with music by Matt Gray. It's the fourth Thalamus game as well, following on from the Stavros Vasoulis trilogy, Sanctioned, Delta, and Qdex. Um, so I guess at the time, this was a, you know, a big deal. It was um, a big deal. As those games had all been well-received, so there was no small amount of pressure on Mr. Walker's shoulders at this point. You know, that he had a, you know, there's a legacy here to follow on. Now, you know, whether you think that there was a certain level of um, quality with Sanction Delta and Qdex, whether you got on with them or thought they were too hard or whatever, there was, a le- there was you know, there was a level was of There was an expectation, shops. wasn't there? There was, yeah. Thalamus had set themselves up as a, you know, a high bar, I think. So um, let's see, does this game keep that level of quality? Let's have a look. Once again, one of our best pilots, which is you, um, you're not giving enough respect to a black hole, which is never good. 
You should always give respect to those. Yeah, especially when you hear what sounds they made. I have to listen to that uh, NASA. Oh, that is freaky. We'll put the link in the show notes. It's crazy. Yeah, really scary. So if you, yeah, um, so after flying a bit too close to it in your ship, the Hunter, um, you've been sucked in and spat out the other side. Um, So, which is lucky, you haven't been spaghettified and stretched to infinity, but you've been spat out the other side. From here, all you can see. As you come out the other side, are crystalline structures that house energy cells, and these uh, these uh, structures are constantly being monitored and repaired by worker drones who move around the structures. Your computer tells you that if you have any chance of getting back home, you're going to need to collect all those energy cells, and that's how the game begins. So this is a collect them up. You've got to collect all these energy cells, and you've got to go through all the levels and collect them, and that's how you get back home. After the game loads, it's a very nice loading screen. Um, we get an equally nice title screen. Um, I think from the very start, this this kind of oozes presentational quality. There's yeah, a level. Yeah, there's a very very high level. Here. The title screen itself is the name of the game, and this is like these animated alien life forms moving around in various patterns. Do you know what this reminded me of? And do you know what I think stuck in my head? I think this game somehow stuck in my head. Um, Shudder, my game. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. There's a. The, there's a, there's, a, there's a similarity. Thinking about it, there is there is some similarity. I mean, yeah. not intentional, but there is, I think. No, I think I just like this, because I don't really remember much about this game from back then, from when I played it now, but I think I would had seen it, so I reckon that, that kind of look had sort of sat there somewhere in the back of my head somewhere for when I made that game. Anyway, so, yeah, so this is, uh, you've got these various patterns moving around behind the title screen. It flicks to the high school table every now and again. Um, and it's coupled with Matt Gray's um, thumpingly dark soundtrack, um, which Max is as something that has been given a lot of care and attention. Soundtrack, this title tune is ace. Um, yeah, it's a very, game. it's honestly a very good piece of it's music. It's really good. It's good all the way through. So we'll, we'll talk about, we'll talk about it a bit, but um, the nice, uh, this, yeah, so there's uh, the music here, by the way, yeah, it's got a real soundtrack. It's got a soundtrack feel to it. It's like an opening movie credits feel to it, I thought. Yes, it does. Um, it's a real, real good sort of atmosphere and, and creates a, there's something that just draws you in. There's also um, the presentation. I like the way that there's hidden options. Um, you move the joystick left or right, a little one or two icon fades up in the top left, showing how many players are there and then fades off. Just to keep the mm. to keep the uh, presentation, just to keep you know the uh, the uh, presentation nice and clean. Similarly, moving up or down brings a little arrow on as this controls the volume of the sound and music. Again, really nicely done. Simply, you know, that's it. So press fire to get us into the game. We get a message that we're preparing to launch, and there's a great little starting sound effect. And the game waits for us to press fire again before launching the ship with once again a cool character animated effect that once again reminded me of Shudder. <laughs> I think I'm Nick Lowe yeah, from this because um, that's how that's how that game starts. So uh, it's like it's, they all sort of swirl out to the edge and then back in again and create the ship. It's really nice. Once that's done, we have control of our ship, which is a rounded, pretty nicely shaded single sprite. It's very round. It's a very round ship. Yeah, it reminded me of a Cylon Raider. Yes, that's actually that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, from the top down view. At its heart, really, this is a it's a three hundred and sixty degree shooter in space. That's what we've got here. We have another one. We have another one of ta- another take on that kind of genre. The ship rotates to the angle of the joystick you are pressing, and then moves in that direction if you keep holding it. So it's not a left and right to turn and forward for power control system. This is a you know hold the direction you want to move, and it'll move that way. Yeah, directional. Yeah. Yeah. Centering the joystick brings you to a halt slowly, but that's in the first control scheme, and I'll get to the others and some of the more other details later on. So the main portion uh, of the display takes up the whole screen. So the game actually takes place in the whole screen. The whole screen is used for the game. UI elements, as we saw in Delta, are in the top and bottom borders, and that's quite nice. That gives you lots of play area. 
lots of uh, lots of uh, stuff to play around with. So it's got a nice feel to it. So you know, again, presentationally lovely. Following on from what we saw in Delta and things like that, and it's played out against a scrolling space background with uh, nice twinkly twinkling stars going twinkling away in the background. It's not parallel. It's not multi um, multi layered. It's not parallax or anything like that. But they're still nice. Um, the UI at the bottom has a space for the coordinates we need to collect in each level. So there's, I'll go through the UI sort of thing. So the UI is at the bottom. There's, uh, there's a load of readouts and stuff that you've got. The first one in the bottom left, there's, there's a blank space, essentially a blank space. Um, and that is where the coordinates you need to collect in each level to progress the next level will fill in as you progress, and but more on that in a bit. Uh, then we have the countdown timer for collecting the energy cells. Again, I'll come to that in a bit. Um, next to that, we have the level number, then a small radar showing the location of the energy cells, then your remaining shields and lives. So that's the UI across the bottom. The UI at the top shows us which player is up, so one or two player, the score and the high score. So the game starts, and as noted, the object of the game is to collect the energy cells that are in the levels to get home. These cells show up on your radar as white dots, and you simply just got to go and collide with them to collect them. And that's it, really. But of course, of course, it's not that simple. The energy cells are usually in the center of a pattern of sprites or characters constantly being monitored by white builder drones that move around the external edges of them. So if it's a series of like square of like number of sprites, um, then this white drone will be moving around them constantly. Um, and so you can shoot the, the sprites or the structures um, that make these things up. But as soon as that builder um, sprite comes back around to it, it'll rebuild it. So it'll respawn, essentially re- constantly re- rebuilding it. So you you can't, you ha- if you shoot something out and you want to get through it, you've got to go through quick because otherwise the builder drone will come back and rebuild it and it's there again. So you've got to shoot it again. If you have contact with any part of the level, then your ship will blow up. And that's that. Um, and you'll lose one of your six lives. Um, also of note here is that you cannot shoot the builder drones. So you can't destroy them to stop them from building everything. They're indestructible, like uh, Captain Scarlet. So you can just shoot the, the structures. And sometimes you can't shoot those. Some of them are, are impervious to your lasers as well. If you lose all six lives, because six lives is what you have, it's game over. So that's what you've got to do. Get through, find these uh, white dots on your radar, go collect them, done. Now at the start of the level, there's a countdown in the bottom UI. We'll be counting down from eight. Um, so you've got eight seconds, essentially. And in the radar, one of the energy cells will be flashing. So if you get to that energy cell in under eight seconds, then supposedly, according to the instructions and what I read, you can co- it'll complete the level. You'll get the uh, coordinate and you'll be able to move on. But I found that a bit hit and miss. I did it a few times and nothing happened. And I, I, I got to it within eight seconds, but it didn't finish the level and I still had to go off and collect the rest. Uh, which So I'm not sure if I didn't understand that process. It wasn't explained well enough. The Zat Review said the instructions were a bit misleading and they were because I had a look at them. Um, I didn't know if there was something going on there. Maybe what I think is what happens is if you go collect the flashing one, you get a coordinate um, for the, to fill up the four coordinates, which means if you die on that level, you'll start that level again. If you then go and get the flashing one again, you'll get a second coordinate. And I think that's what actually happens. But don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. I don't know. Um, it's just the instructions are not very clear. Anyway, um, collecting the flashing one or collecting them all will give you the coordinates needed to progress from this level. So usually you have to collect collect them all. On the first level you start off on, there's just one to go and collect, and then you can choose, you move on. So the game is structured into 16 levels. Each level is split into several sub-areas. So you've got, I think there's 100... 
there 128 i think there's 128 levels yeah in total. something like that yeah so there's quite a lot here to go at um across those 16 levels so once you've completed one sub area by collecting the cells you'll be greeted with a map of the main of this the level that you're on so in the first level it's like a diamond and you start on the left so the level you started on is the left hand side one which means and you're connected to the top of the diamond and the bottom of the diamond by little lines and you can then go and choose which one you wish to go and do next you, as long as you're connected to it you can choose to go and do that one once you so once you select it you press the fire button and you select it once you're in that sub area however you can only get out of it by completing it you can't go back to that map and try a different one if you're having problems you've got to complete it to get out of it um if you collect all the letters of the sub coordinates so um sometimes you can i've had issues sort of things where i have done collected the flashing thing in one level twice because i died and so i didn't have to do all the um all this all the areas in a in a level um so it will take basically it will complete that section that that one of that that's one of the 16 levels um because you've collected all the coordinates and it takes you essentially once you've done that you can progress to the interlevel bonus stage um because you know these games have an interlevel bonus stage they always do here you are attacked by eight builder drones in various patterns so in these it's the little white squares but you can shoot them in these levels and in fact you have to shoot them to progress you're rooted to the middle of the screen you don't fire essentially you just fire in eight directions and they swarm around you in different patterns there's eight different random there's eight different patterns that they can be in and it's a randomized pick as to which one it is that will um you'll have to deal with if you shoot them all it rewards you with both an extra life and an extra shield i'll come to those shields in a bit later but being hit by them or the bullets they shoot means you lose a life um Although if it's your last life, you will not lose that life. So you still carry on to the next level. Um, so it behooves you. You really do want to complete those bonus levels because you'll need your lives and you'll need your shields as you get going on for, further into the game. So the game itself, I thought, was like a, a, a cross between elements of Morpheus in the sort of open area and mutants. Um, there's a little bit of mutants in there and the way that um, certain enemies are represented in this kind of cellular style of them. And the way that each sort of mm. area is different to, to what you've got to kind of do. You know, you don't have different rockets stuff like you did in Mutants, but the way that certain, it's kind of a zoomed out style of Mutants. It's kind of, it's a strange, strange game, but it's kind of elements of both of them. But it also has that Braybrook game, you know, Mute, uh, Braybrook Morpheus game, because you got to fly around an open space field, picking up energy modules to progress, kind of like what you had to do in Morpheus to a degree. The game itself doesn't have uh, any power-ups or improvements to the ship, um, which I can't help but feel is a bit of an oversight. Um, I think this this would have helped on the later, much tougher levels if you could have actually upgraded your ship, um, bought new stuff or, you know, just n new things to, to go at. So whether it's homing missiles, whether it was eight-way firing or th whatever sort of thing, just something because of whatever it is. There is an interesting pause mode, though, and I don't often say that about games. You press run stop to pause the game. If you move the joystick, nothing happens. You just you know nothing but like the menus like the title screen you move the joystick in any direction you get a menu suddenly appears it's kind of weird um and from here you can choose uh, a new control method as the game there's three control methods to offer so the one you start off is called retros and i've described that but it's also cruise and turbo you know sounds like um uh cars from a sort of 80s animated or porn stars <laughs> uh, i'm cruise he's turbo <laughs> I slow down halfway. He goes full speed all the time. Cruise means you do not come to a halt when you stop pushing a direction. You glide at half speed. Turbo keeps you going at top speed in that direction. I think that was my experience of playing it in those. It doesn't tell you this in the instructions. The instructions goes, you've got three modes, retros, cruise, and turbo. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Could you explain what they do? No. You can also just cosmetically choose the color of your ship from silver, cobalt, gold, or the misnamed custom, because it's not custom. You can't change it, as far as I can see. It's pink. 
you can also activate a shield here. And that shield's quite important because you'll stay active for that level and that level only. It won't protect you from the builder drones, just the bullets and the crystal structures. Um, it's also worth noting as well that when you collect one of the energy cells, you uh, gain a sort of invulnerability for a short period of time, a few seconds to get you out of there. So that's kind of handy. So if you can do them quick, you can kind of stay shielded for a period of time uh, if you know where you're going, and that's kind of handy. So, yeah, so then there's the... After that, there's a, there's a mode called the off-duty mode, and this offers an interactive screensaver, uh, which allows you to play with four different settings to change the color and style of the characters whizzing about the screen. So those characters and stuff you saw whizzing about on, on the title screen, here you just get a full screen of them here, and they go whizzing about, and you have to press Commodore key to get out of it, um, and you can move them. You've got like your own sort of mixer to change the color, the patterns they move around in, kind of strange, but... You know, if you just want a bit of downtime, watching some kind of weird visualizer, I would have liked a bit of music on this section. I really mm. would. I think a bit of music is missing here. Weird. I don't know why not. It's clear that a lot of effort has gone into the game. Um, it's massively clear. The mix of sprites and characters uh, for the enemies is well integrated, and there's a very cohesive look to the whole game. The music is exceptionally good, with Matt Gray producing something distinct to him, but it's also reminiscent of, I thought it was reminiscent of Hubbard at his best. It had a hints of knuckle busters and stuff in that. He has a lot of um, Hubbardy leanings, I think. Yeah, he does. He's very similar in style, but and I think this is a, a Hubbardy style one, but it's also Matt Gray, but it's just very good. Um, it, uh, you know, I'd not really wasn't very aware of this piece of music, but upon listening to it, I was like, this is excellent. It's, it's is a really good one. Good. Hunter's Moon's yeah. always been a good one. Um, the game itself is, I think, is quite clever. Uh, it's neither an out and out blaster nor a strategy game, but requires a bit of both from the player to get very far. If I had one criticism, I, I would argue that the player sprite is a tad too big. But I'd maybe I'd like to have a bit of a sleeker ship or even just a bit smaller circular craft. But because it's sometimes hard to navigate and you, you kind of you've got to get through narrow spaces and sometimes that's quite tricky. But you know, it just it has to be taken into consideration when planning your next attack. And, and that's the thing. I like there's no time limit in the game forcing you on. There's no enemies constantly pestering you. It's quite nice. They're just you know you've got a chance to have a look at the next structure and go right. How do I get in there? What do I need to shoot? And when and when do I fly in to get that energy cell? Because sometimes there's multiple structures kind of overlapping. So there's multiple builder drones going in loops and you kind of have to work out, right, if I go now, you have to kind of time it very nicely. And that's quite good. I like the way you can take on which levels you want to some degree, um, because once you're in a, a level, like the second level um, is like a five way. So you start in the middle and there's a there's an optional level of four spokes from you. So you can do it in any which way you want. And that's quite a nice way. I like the way different levels ask different things of you while still retaining the core challenge because some of them are, are sprite-based, some of them are character-based, um, these sort of structures that you have to blow up and destroy. Like I said, I would have liked to see some power-ups, though, because it does get very difficult later on. And, and you know, you're going to have to be very good and patient to try and get through this. And it's a shame that there's a decent ending. We say this about very few games, but there's actually an animated ending where you fly off and stuff, and um, but it's going to be seen by very few people. But, you know, on the whole, I, this is a quality addition to the C64's library and, and continues the Thalamus trend. I would say it's actually better than the three we've already seen, personally. I think it's polished, it's smooth, it's good looking, it sounds ace. I think it's fully deserving of the 92% it got. As an addendum... There is also um, a remastered version of the game that was done by uh, Matt Walker and Matt Gray in 2017 under Thalamus Digital. Uh, it has a whole new intro sequence. It's on cartridge, so it you you know, or you can play it on the Vice emulator, I think. Um, so you know, they had a lot more memory and obviously to to play around with. It had a whole new intro sequence, there's new levels, new music, 
I didn't get around to playing it this time, but I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out when we eventually get to looking at some of the new games being made for the system, probably in about 10 years' time when we've done everything else. Um, but I suppose we'll have a look at this one as well to see what the remastered version offers. Um, it's nice to see that you know these that they've kept the core originality of this but added new stuff, so interesting stuff. I thought this was really good and a nice opener to the um, episode. What did you think? Yeah, I'm not going to add a whole bunch of stuff to that. I agree. It was always a nice-looking and well-constructed Game Hunters Moon. It was... I remembered it from, it's one of those games that you remember. So it's in the, you know, the same league as Last Ninja, Avid is a Monty, and loads of others that, you know, there's a bit of a stalwarty sort of thing about Hunter's Moon. It was always a great constructed game. Upon replaying it, it had a kind of Spore meets Mutants vibe, I guess, um, which is no mm-hmm. bad thing. I mean, that, they're not criticisms. That's 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 just the kind of the way I kind of felt about what, what I was doing when I played it. Really nice, smooth scrolling, really Easy in, straightforward game logic. What's to complain about a game that's just really well designed? Really great sounds and music, as you've said. In fact, there's no real problems with it. It's a nice, professionally produced C64 game. And maybe it's a little bit repetitive. For some people, that might, that might be a thing. It's not for me, maybe. But it's a nice explorer. There's loads to blow up. There's plenty of levels to go at. Loads of sprites on the screen. Oh, technically, yes. yeah. The... Technically, this game's in you know, streets ahead of some of the garbage we've had to play for this episode. But it just shows you that you don't have to create lots of stupidity around... The, the the story and the thing and everything else. You know, there's there's a there's a there's a whole bunch, a simple bunch of stuff about this. But you get into the game, you load it up, and you're in. You can figure out what you need to do pretty quick. Um, yes, there's some it's little parts of it are a little bit obtuse, but you you can get to that really. There's no what there isn't is no glitches, no bugs, great music, really playable. It's really instant. You know, it's it's a really professionally produced thing, like you say. Just little uh, little touches like when you push up and down and left and you get those extra options. It's amazing to see those things in a game like this. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. nicely produced. Classic Thalamus presentation, I think. I think they, they were really keen on that. And I love the fact that they adhere to that QA quality. Now, if you're going to release a Thalamus game, you've got to adhere to these kind of standards. And this one really does set the bar really high. I thought the game itself controlled really smoothly. I really enjoyed replaying it. It's not a game I've gone back to till now. I always liked it back in the day, as it were, but I, re- I really enjoyed going back to it this time. It's a really nice, easy in for this. I was able to start to get re- through the levels. It's a tough game. Don't get me wrong. You know, you're gonna you're gonna be trying to get through stuff, but it's not insurmountable. There's some really nice sprite design, really nice graphics in here. The look and feel is really, really good. I really enjoyed my time with Hunter's Moon. I it, I can't help but feel it probably missed out on gold medal for. Re- reasons i can't explain again i thought it was really good it's kind of the game that mutants really wanted to be i think and because mutants was yeah. okay and we and we like mutants but there yeah. was our criticism was that was mutants was a little bit overwhelming and it and it was a bit obtuse and this kind of answers some of that i really really like this i thought it had a lot to offer and i have never played or seen the the remake or anything else but if it's got the same people at the helm you can only imagine how good they'll make it what a great thing this was great start to the podcast go and play hunter's moon it's a really good game it's really good a great c64 game mm. yeah it is it is and a, and a nice one to begin on um it is i, I have to say i don't i don't think i actually played it much back in the day so it was it was all fairly new to me that's crazy i had it i had hunter's moon and i had it for i got a legitimate version <clears throat> you know quite early <laughs> on and uh-huh. um, but it was one of those ones it's funny i was thinking about this actually because when you trade a lot of wares at that time and this isn't any disrespect to programmers game teams producers everything else but i was part of the scene and part of the scene was that you got a lot of demos and games it just that's the way it worked and sometimes games came along that really made you go wow that's amazing and 
you saw a lot of games when you were part of the scene because you got a lot of product sent through that was cracked a lot of it. Yeah, there was loads you of did, yeah. But certain games would stick out, and Hunter's Moon was one of them. It was one of those ones that when you saw, you know, when you saw it and you loaded it and you saw that opening screen, you were like, "This is this is really good." Yeah. Now the volume of games that you get through that shows you that there's certain sometimes certain things just stick out. Yusagi Ajimbo is another one I can think of just off the top of my head. The minute you go, "Wow, this there's something about this game," and Hunter's Moon was definitely one of those. I think you no, know, the the crackers out there probably have got a lot to say about that, but. All I mean to say is that out of all of the sea of games that you get when you get, you know, lots of discs sent from abroad and you've got all this stuff on it, Hunter's Moon really did land. And I remember me and uh, I think you you might have played it at my house a little bit. Definitely I did. Gary, friend of the podcast, never did. He was just too <laughs> he was too into his, his hip hop. He was out of, by this point. He was getting out of video games. He was too yeah, off video. It was. Point, it was I just. Think, it was he? into his hip. It was into his hip hop and in his touring of the local libraries looking for stuff <laughs> so that he could blatantly rob. Yeah, um, he had a, he had a, he actually had a T-shirt. Then he made up of the uh, the uh, names of the libraries on the back yeah, of tour, his, like his, a tour T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, 1988 tour of the yeah, libraries. He actually took me recently when I when I, when I went to see him on a tour of the of the stolen product that he got from various libraries. <laughs> but, you know, that's why we can't name him fully. Uh, but more importantly, that certain games that even would even stick out for him. And I think this might be a little bit late into the day when he was into it, but I think even he was like. There was something about this one. I remember we all kind of were like, wow, this is pretty. Some, this is something yeah. special at the time. So very good. Very cool game. Very cool game, this. Indeed. What a great start. This is ace. Great start. I love it. I love it when we have a good start. Because it means that everything else coming after it will also be just as good. Yeah. <laughs> there it does. Yeah, it Yay. does. Don't, yeah. Don't, Yay. Don't, don't shatter my hopes, even though I no, know no, what's no, coming no. up. Exactly. No, it's like watching the Wicker Man. Yay! <laughs> yeah, it'll end happy this time. Maybe this time he'll find Rowan. Yay! This, maybe this time Old Yellow won't get ill. <laughs> no. Oh, let's move along quickly, or not, into our next one. We like Hunter's Moon, it's good. And Graham, you can tell us what it's like to be both clever and smart. Well, <laughs> I'd like to think I was a little bit of either of those i'm not so sure just to set the framework for this before i dive into what i'm going to call it um, this is actually a, a it's basically a spanish comic the spanish comic was called mortadillo and filimon or filimon which is morton phil to you and me now that translates in german and the people that designed and developed this game for ariolasoft micro partner are german so this is a german game based on a spanish comic the spanish comic was morton phil the German version of that is called Clever und Smart, or Clever and Smart to you and me. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I don't know, I couldn't understand that German. Just speaking gibberish. Clever und Smart. I, I, I'll, I'll say it slower so you can be sure to understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they made Clever and Smart, which is a German translation of a Spanish comic strip. Can, now, just before I even get into that, the Spanish comic strip of Morton Phil has been translated into more than 20 languages around the world, including, let me tell you this, Afrikaan, Arabic, Danish, Dutch, and German. It hasn't necessarily remained the same name in those areas. So the Afrikaan version of Morton Phil was Rommel and Drommel. Okay. Yeah, in Arabic, it was smart and cunning. In Danish, it was flip and flop. Um, in Dutch, it was uh, palang and co. This is the alternate lyrics to the start of uh, The Storyteller. <laughs> And in, in, oddly, oddly in, in German, I am flip and flop. Honestly, in Germany, this was called flip. I am flip, Sorry, in Germany, this was called flip and flap before it was changed to just clever and smart. So the, oh anyway, this, the, the reason I mention all of that brouhaha 
is because there's a whole comic strip adaptation. It's probably side split in Spanish and German and all the translations. But I can tell you something that it doesn't translate to English very well. It really doesn't. So I've translated this game, Clever and Smart, to, I like to call it Crap and Stupid, and you'll see why <laughs> in a moment. So um, I'm going to read you the C64 inlay from the instructions, because I think it's very important that we have this. So, Clever and Smart. Accompany Clever and Smart on a terrific chase. Now at last you can experience what until now has only been something to read and laugh about. Clever and Smart provides you with an atmosphere of action in which you find integrated short interludes for strategists, brooders, and quickly reacting button presses. Brooders? <laughs> brooders. This is, honest to God, the inlay. Oh, God. If you suck said, so that's spelled S-U-C-C-E-D, suck so suckhead. If you suck it, you sucked. Finally, in surviving under the mad conditions of the world of Clever and Smarts, you then can turn to your main task, to search for Dr. Bacterius, who was kidnapped by the OMA. This task is a veritable brain teaser, but with the help of Clever's ingenious disguises, you will certainly suck head, won't you? You? Because it says you twice there. Anyway, it features, apparently, fantastic graphics in all game situations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Need of quick reactions in the town. Honestly, I'm not making this up. This is off the, off the setting lane. Tricky strategic game in the sewerage. Okay, a, a complex background guarantees pleasant gaming, even in the long, even in the long run. No matter where. The, honestly, <laughs> what? this is honest. Say that one are, again. <laughs> a complex background guarantees pleasant gaming, even in the long run. These are okay. honest to God. That's on the on the inlay. No matter where the player is, the computer simulates the whole action in town and sewerage. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Absolutely can. clever. These you are bullet can. points. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> clever. Absolutely smart. That's what it says. Anyway, Clever and Smart is an action game with puzzle elements based on the Spanish comic book, as we've said, uh, Mortadello and Filimon. Oh, Filimon. Uh, the two protagonists are special agents, and in this game, they need to find Dr. Bacterius, who was kidnapped by who was kidnapped, sorry, by the competing agency OMA, like I've already said. The main part of the game takes place on the city map, which is shown from a top-down perspective. Yeah, all right. Um, the protagonists need to explore the city and its sewers. <laughs> To find hints on Bacterius's location. So you've got, got to sort of wander around and ask stuff of people. Yeah. Honest to God, this game is bizarre, unt weird. Um, <laughs> bizarre, unt extreme, in fact, I think you'll find. Hold, hold on, <laughs> I can't keep up with this, this foreign language you keep getting into. It's too much. There's many locations where Clever and Smart need to have certain items in their possession to proceed. So you've actually got to wander around a map, talk to people, pick up objects and use them at certain locations. For example, to enter some houses, Clever, there's two characters, Clever and Smart, of course, needs to use one of his trademark disguises, which you'll never find or won't work and they don't mean anything and you can't understand what they are. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much right. Or in the sewer, they can tap a telephone line with the right tools. This this game is ridiculous and it makes no sense whatsoever. Zap made a point of saying that the translation of this is just beyond crazy and it really is. So another important resource in this game is money, which you can use to buy items, disguises and food. Um, the food is essential because you have a hunger value score, which constantly rises when the heroes don't eat. Um, so you get progressively hungrier um, and eventually that can kill you. I never had it actually kill me. I just got hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. I don't know if that just I just timed it out because I switched it off in, in a rage before I got there. <laughs> <laughs> money you could earn money by uh, illegal activities like burglary or forging checks it's just <laughs> anyway okay um or you can play the mini games like coin flipping or the snail race where uh, you can participate as clever or you can participate as clever in disguise by the way 
the game is the same, whether you're in disguise or not. It makes no difference. I'm just <laughs> telling you that. My comment for this game, AD, after this, because the display of this game, you start off with like a maze and you walk around the maze and then you can enter different sewers. And it, it doesn't matter how this game presents itself. It's incoherent crazy. At one point, I told an OAP to go F themselves. Oh, sorry, yeah. they told me, because I was talking to them, they said, go F yourself. This, it's really random. Nothing in this translated to English at all well. Bear in mind, it's gone from Spanish to German to English. So, so when, the ter- when you hear the phrase lost in translation, this is beyond lost in translation. This is somebody translated it from, it was already, it was already gone. The translation's <laughs> gone. So yeah. my comment for this was just, ah, um, Spanish to German to English translation games don't generally work very well. We saw it with that other game that we played the other german to english game what was it called the one with the giant cartoony graphics what was it called oh western games no no that's one of them no it was another one where there was it started with like a, open the bottle oh, giant Ver- graphic. Ver- Verner. we've seen it it doesn't it doesn't work <laughs> it, no. it, it, it doesn't work so it's not clear really what you're meant to be doing other than chatting to people which mo- most of them told me to get lost you're meant to yep. pick up objects and use them in certain locations but you've got no idea how or why and the sort of guidance you get is almost insulting and doesn't really work. I guess it's part of the comic thing to sort of be like what be that way, but it doesn't translate. So because it doesn't translate, the game makes very literally no sense whatsoever. Not only that, you have no affinity affinity for these characters. They're drawn in that kind of Verna way as well. So the, the characters themselves, they're quite big sprites that you control, generally speaking, as you move around. Mm-hmm. But that said, um, it makes no difference. If the game is it's it's not understandable in contextually and it's not been localized properly it makes no sense whatsoever which is exactly the problem with this game so from the instructions to the game the only thing i can really tell you about this game is that it involves two characters that have to wander around and try and do stuff other than that because of the very poor translations of everything else and i think uh, kind of rushed to market and it was developed by german developers who probably didn't understand a word of english it does not translate so when you play it in english you're like what the hell does that mean why have i told an oap why has she told me to get it doesn't make any sense and it's not enjoyable to play in fact it's quite horrible so i didn't enjoy uh crap and stupid no no reason to enjoy it really i don't care how famous the comic strip was it did not come across and you could say the same about things like uh, spy versus spy that's based on a comic strip from somewhere else but you know whatever this is about it makes no sense i guess that the comic strip has got all these various characters and it's all subterfuge and there's the oma is probably something important i don't know what that is or that means if you paid <laughs> £9.99 for this, it got 24% in stuff. If you paid £10 for this, I'd, I think even if you were German and you paid £10, you'd be angry um, because it would make no sense. You know, it, this is this is uh, a load of scheiser, to, as they would say in Germany, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, uh, but what about you? Uh, good Lord. What do you say about this? As the, as the games around 1988 get ever more obscure, I'll be surprised if they get more obscure than this one. What is this? For the start, people... The, sorry, the same people gave us Western games. This odd German pairing has us awkwardly getting stuck on scenery as we bumble about a town and into sewers on the trail of a missing professor while grannies tell us to F off. It's What is that? I mean, you know, it's not the way we do things in my town, I'm afraid. Um, I'm not going to say much about this. It's awful. Coupled with, you know... There's, Boring lack of gameplay. The twitchy horror of controlling this have been turning this off quick smart. This was neither clever nor smart, just rubbish and arse. Um, that's why I thought. Yeah, it, sums it, up. it was it was awful. It really was bad. 24% has been generous. I mean, just the, 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 that map screen, just wandering about it and then just getting into fights with random people at the edges and 
Then a car just comes along and you, you can't survive it. Oh, what? oh, those cars. I forgot to mention that because when you're walking around the maze and the first, there's cars zooming around the various maps, if they hit you, you're dead. Yeah. One of, sorry, one of you is dead. Yeah. Um, and that's, you can't avoid them. There's no way to get past them. It's just stupid. It's just really stupid. It's a bad game. Very bad. So, no, it's not, like I said, it's neither clever nor smart. There's nothing good about this at all. The visuals are bitty and it's just, and really fast, really fast, annoying animation, like two frame animation, which is, ugh, I didn't like it. No. I did not no. like this. You know, I was prepared no. for something low, but. I think it, I, mean, I wasn't prepared, disprepared for this. It was awful. No, let's move on. Let's move away from clever and smart because it's neither. And again to our next one. This is uh, an arcade conversion. This is Psycho Soldier, £9 from Imagine or Ocean. Was it Ocean that did this? Ocean. Imagine, um, I think this one. Is it, is it Imagine one? It's, uh, yeah, okay. It's an outlandish and very strange thing, this. Not quite as outlandish as what we just looked at, but still a bit quite weird. Um, it's a port of the original um, original arcade game Psycho Soldier. The arcade version in, in Japan was called Psycho Saruja. I think that's how you pronounce it. Probably not, but I'll give it a, that's my best go. It was developed by SNK, and it's a very distant sequel to Athena, which was a game we looked at and did not like some time back. I can't remember how long ago, but it doesn't seem that long ago, but mm, maybe not. This was actually released in the arcades a year after Athena, and it features a descendant of the character in Athena called Athena Asamaya, Asamiya. Uh, and she happens to have psychic abilities, hence the title Psycho Soldier. Uh, these abilities help her to unlock secret powers inside herself and help her advance her career as a pop singer. Mm, yes. This is weird. It's very strange. When and this is the this is the plot to the um the arcade the home conversion is a bit more grim dark, shall we say? Where, where this is like when evil beings appear in her hometown, she sets out with her psychic powers to save the town and destroy this new menace, and also you know pursue her make her pop career go better. So that's cool. That's what she wants. It's something like that. Who knows? The blurb on the inside of the tape has this down as you playing Athena again and tries to tell us some dark apocalyptic tale of being used by the gods or something um, whilst evil entities arrive and you've got to save them. This is very odd. And really, it's completely at odds um, to what, to the game actually enclosed within that case because it's nothing to do with that. It's more in, more in liking um, of the sort of lighthearted um, arcade story. So... They've, they've clearly tried to um, darken this, but to reasons they, they, they couldn't because the game isn't. So weird. It's very strange. Um, it was hard to track who made this. Um, Lemon64 just lists the name the, the name Source as the coder. Um, although on Wikipedia, it does have a note that the Spectrum version was also done by Source Software, and that is Ross Harris. Maybe he did this version as well. I don't know. Graphics were by Chris Gill. Um, and the music as well is by Source, so maybe it was Ross Harris as well. I don't know. I'm not sure. Once again, this game features um, a very sexualized, not as much as uh, Athena, but again, quite a sexualized Bob Wakelin cover, an advert that's taken inspiration from the 80s bodybuilder Lisa Lyon. Um, and once again, it bears very little resemblance to the game or design of the main character. They've looked at this, they've drawn this, they've tried to go to this Grimdack, and then the game itself ties into none of that. I I'm not knocking the quality of Wakelin's artwork. It's excellent, of course. But this is an anime wannabe pop idol, not an ultra-muscular female bodybuilder from America. Weird. <laughs> so... I don't, I don't get it. I just don't, you know, I know what they're aiming for. They were trying to turn it into something that it simply isn't, but then the game isn't. So you, you felt left, hang on a minute, this isn't what I bought. Anyway, the game itself is bare bones once it loads. You've got a title screen. It's got the title in a raster bar form. So you've got this outline in it, a sort of yellow and um, red lines moving up and down it. And weirdly, if you have your joystick, I think you port one and you move it, you, those lines move faster. 
is strange. I don't know why, but they do. Bug. Um, bug, probably, yeah. Uh, there's an instruction to press fire to play, and that's your lot. Um, getting into the game, you start by controlling a little like flying... Like, I don't know what it is, like a little trial sort of... Um, traffic cone type shape thing and you can shoot this fires lasers but after a short time athena will pop out and you will now control her that's a pain because she kind of drops the nearest one even if there's an enemy nearby so you'll die a lot here but just enemies just being in the way when you oh scroll. yes so that's quite annoying so this game is an auto scrolling shooter with four levels of platforms for you to jump between it scrolls constantly from left to right um and you just have to basically move up and down fire left and right um and that's it as it scrolls along you can fire lasers and around you, there are four circling bombs, which can also be launched with the press of the uh, fire button. No, it's space bar, I think, isn't it? The UI at the bottom has your score in the bottom right and your bomb energy, which is different colors for different types of bombs. And then another bar showing the number of bombs remaining. Um, although I thought this was represented by the bombs floating around you. It's very confusing. I didn't fully understand the UI and how it tied into what the game was, but I found it confused anyway. As the screen scrolls to the right, you've got to destroy the various enemies that roam the platforms. Contact with them spells death, uh, and once all lives gone, game over. There are concrete blocks barring the way, and if you, you can shoot these, you need a couple of shots to blow them up. They can reveal power-ups for the bombs, or more bombs to pick up and things like that. But you've got to be aware of the negative power-ups, especially according to the instructions, the dreaded mushroom. don't know why. <laughs> Just look out for the <laughs> dreaded mushroom. I never saw a you dreaded mushroom. You should always look out for a dreaded mushroom, generally <laughs> Absolutely, speaking. Absolutely, yeah. I'm wondering whether that's a mushroom with dreads, like toad, <laughs> like t- like a... Yeah, yeah, like he's got little dreadlocks, yeah. 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 That's possible. That would be quite cool. Um, I don't know why, anyway. It seems to knock your bomb energy down to zero if you hit this dreaded mushroom, I think. But I could be wrong. Who knows? My energy went down at some point, but it's all they all look the same. That's the problem. All the power-ups look the same. They look different in the arcade, but in the C64 version, they all look the same. In the arcade, it's colourful. It's look, you know, it's an S, it's an early SNK one. It's colourful, it's not amazing, but it's funny enough. It's an anime romp with cute pixel art and a tune that's made all the stranger because it's an actual song with singing. There's actual it's weird. You play this game in the arcade version, it's really weird. I played I played it on MAME. And so suddenly this just this song just starts and you're like, This this is really odd. I never saw this in the arcade. It would be something that would have stuck with me. Um but I think in the UK or the European or the US version that it's been changed to um uh, to uh, uh, English lyrics, hasn't it? It has. Um, it's very odd. It's a very odd thing. However, here, the C64 version, uh, the game is a blocky mush of indistinct characters and backgrounds, uh, flickery sprites. Just try firing a bomb to see this in full effect. Uh, it's got annoying enemies and a so-so, but really grating tune. All the fun and kitsch of the arcade has been stripped out here, and what you're left with is a badly controlled, badly rendered, auto-scrolling thing that um, doesn't please really in any capacity. It's maybe a little better than the original Athena game, or maybe it's not. It's hard to tell. Neither of them are particularly good, and neither of them are, you know, they're not that similar, but they really do not seem to have, uh, don't seem to have much to do with each other. In the arcade, you know, they didn't play on that. So, I don't know, here the box screams that Athena is back, but this game has so little to do with the original that you wonder why they bothered to try and hark back to a game that was not very good in the first place. You just do your own thing. This is a cutesy anime styling type thing. Why you know, I don't know. It's not the worst arcade conversion we've seen. It plays, it works, okay, but it's less than mediocre at best, and it really certainly is not worth revisiting now. It's just a bit of a blur. It's it's no, I won't, you know, it's no jailbreak, and it's no enduro racer, but it's another Shaolin's Road or in in that bracket, I would say. So, yeah, not great, but, you know, it is what it is. What about you? Did you enjoy your time in the weird world of the Psycho Soldier? No, good title screen, though. Bid no resemblance to anything you even saw in the game ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was it was well drawn that title screen. Everything else was kind of crap. 
horrible sounds in music in the C64. That wail that she emits when you fall off the levels. <laughs> it's going to haunt me forever, I think, that, that sound. <laughs> you need to insert it just so the our listeners I'll, can I'll, hear it. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in there. The graphics are badly drawn, um, pretty much indistinguishable from what they're meant to be, really. Nothing really is great here, is it? No. It's nothing like the image of the title screen anyway, the main character you play, so I don't quite know how that relates. I guess it doesn't relate to it at all. Not even the same coloured hair. Um, Or outfit. Yeah, not at all. Really weak, repeated gameplay here. Walk right, shoot and die. Really, that's, you know, those are the things that you do a lot. Hop up and down, maybe. Yep. I don't know. Um, you seem to start each life as a teapot. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So you, you float in the level as a teapot, then you kind of leap out of the teapot. But I I did what you did. I deferred back to the arcade to see what that was all about. And it was exactly the same, albeit you know, with higher fidelity, but same problem. Pretty dreary, pretty dull. Aside from that crazy music, the music now, fire, fire, you know, the fire thing. and, and <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. Um, I, I found some interesting links to that, which I'll post in the show notes to the Original version that's in the arcade. There's an English version as well of that, the translated version, which doesn't sound quite as good. It sounds like it was recorded by someone in their bathroom, um, the English <laughs> lyrics. There's also, it was there was a recorded version of that that was released on cassette with the with the Famicom version of that. Um, and I'm going to, I'll put the link to that version as well, because that's like a professional studio version of the same thing. And I'll even put the lyrics in there, you know. The lyrics are things like the psycho balls, light bursts, and Athena's form shines. The psycho sword cuts through the darkness. Athena save dreams. I'm pretty sure that sounds way better in Japanese. It sounds <laughs> awful, yeah, probably. Uh, but I like the idea of fire, fire. You know, psycho shajora, which is fire, fire, psycho soldier. I'll put the lyrics in there. All of that's moot. That, in all fairness, not to the arcade for 1986 doing something which is crazy, having a song with actual vocals in it in an arcade game when you play it. Crazy. I think it's the first one to ever do that. And that's, that is amazing. The C64 owes nothing to that, though. So it's that's almost like comparing a, um, a, a Porsche to a, you know, a, a Fiat Panda. Um, it's, there's no point in doing that. <laughs> no, there really isn't. Um, so this bore very very little resemblance to that arcade. You know, it, it hinted at it. It's kind of, it's, a, it's one of those, you know, Aldi versions of something. It kind of, it's almost, a, it's an almost run. It kind of looks like it. Mm-hmm. But this was, you know, full price, eight ninety five. dollars A very niche license. arcade. Yeah, but this is, this, is, this is what baffles me. These are these are licensed games. Okay, fine. They're really obscure arcades that not everyone's even going to... And and I mean, there's no real indication that this is a sequel to Athena. No. You wouldn't necessarily know that from anything you see in this advertising or this game or anything else. I don't think it says the great sequel to Athena anywhere, as far as I'm aware. So it got 57% in Zap. It's just, it's. I think it's lower than that, really. It's it's not, it's an expensive um, hop up and down kind of scrolling thing. The only, the only thing I'll say, and it's something that I noted in the Lemon 64, someone had put there, I think it might have been Sit, actually, put that this is one of the first pixel background scrollers in the C64. So it does do that. So the background is a giant pixelated image and it scrolls in the background slowly across i don't know how many of those things happened in the c64 i, I genuinely don't that's probably oh, something right, that okay so it was all it was all just drawn and then scrolled across yeah the background. yeah the, old, the whole background's kind of moving and that's that is impressive because you know obviously the c64 doesn't have a whole bunch of memory to be having large amounts of stuff moving left and right in the background i don't know the full tech details of that i'm sure there are people out there who listen to this podcast who he was sat there now going, well, I do know exactly how it works. And it's, you know, insert, no code speak. Um, but either way, apparently it's something to do with that. I'm sure that's very impressive. It would be more impressive if it was in a game that you actually would enjoy and wouldn't want to sort of, you know, get the joystick, the sharp end of the, the bobble on the old Composition Pro and smash it into your eyeball. So uh, I didn't enjoy Psycho Soldier. I thought it was a ex- 
looked to me like an expensive ripoff of an average game, a classic average arcade game conversion. Average yeah. equals average. Mm-hmm. Sometimes squint- less so. So It's a squinter. If you squint, it kind of looks like the original. It's it a is a squinter. You know, and as they said in Game of Thrones, squinter is coming. So um, <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> and, it, and it came in the form of a psycho soldier. <laughs> yeah, it really did. Squinter is coming. Yeah. As long as it's not squitter. Um, ew. ew. Anyway, that's the that psycho soldier. <laughs> Let's move along because we've got one more game before we go for a break. Um, and we'll get into that. And Graham, I gave this to you specially because I know how much you love it. It's, <laughs> all, <laughs> it's your favourite kids' TV show. Tell us all about Nightmare. <laughs> do, 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 do. Let me tell you something. I like that opening sequence of Nightmare. I like the music. I like the way it looks. I like the way it sounds. I like everything about that, which is completely abandoned for this game because they don't use any of that whatsoever. No. Nope. All right. Classic license, really. No, they've got a, there's a license for a, a the Nightmare TV show for those that are the uninitiated out there. We've sort of alluded and mentioned it before, but it was actually a pretty ahead of its time kids show where a bunch of adventurers that were, there was one adventurer that would wear a helmet that would blind them essentially. And they would venture into a dungeon guided by three, I think three teammates from afar, helped with a dungeon master type character, very Dungeons and Dragonsy type idea. But the reality of it was that from the TV perspective, you were looking at them going into this kind of computer-generated world. It was you know, the, all of the scenarios that they went in were CG-generated, very early chroma key, essentially. So lots of blue screen, lots of you know, computer-generated imagery, and these people would wander around, pick up loaves of bread, answer questions, and that was kind of the mainstay of the game. It was this kind of, it was that kind of thing. It was, it felt very futuristic at the time, very ahead it of did. its time. It did. If, yes. you, you know, if you'd have substituted the helmet of blindness or whatever they called it for the, you know, the <laughs> VR goggles of truth. This could could probably have worked in a VR kind of world. You know, it's almost early VR without the person um, with the goggles on actually being able to see anything. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It was a game show, and it was you know, it's all it was all very and it was very popular. Nightmare was a very popular TV show. I mean, I, I have uh, later in life now, I kind of got a love hate relationship with it. But back then, I was totally in. I was in, and much as I kind of didn't like Treyguard and some of the characters that were in it, Treyguard was the Dungeon Master <laughs> character in it. I kind of, I kind of, it sort of spoke to me a little bit. I liked Dungeons and Dragons. I was very into painting miniatures at the time. It just kind of spoke to me a little bit. It, it was on my wavelength. This was a kind of a TV show, and it had video games in it, and it all kind of added up for me. So you'd think a video game of that would have been like Manna from Heaven for you know, for someone like me. No, no, no. Because, of course, it's a licensed game. So, you know, the first thing, first rule of licensing is take the license you're going to do and just cock it up royally. <laughs> smash, just smash it to pieces like, a, like an egg. Just get an egg, hit it with a hammer. It was a little egg with Nightmare, the game, and it just went whack. There we go. Because the, the idea of making a game from a TV license into something that people can play is the equivalent of making an omelette. You know, just scramble an egg and actually, you know, it's still egg-shaped, it's still eggy. What you on about? It's, still egg, it's egg-related. So this was presented by Activision. That's a kind of random thing, really, but it was conceived and created by MD Software, which was JP and EMD. Now, I'm not sure if they were related or whatever. They formed to, fo- to create Focus Creative Enterprises. Nightmare itself was Copper Anglia TV in the UK. Um, and of course, so this is an Activision TV license. This is this was a big, this is actually quite a big deal because this was a quite a big license in terms of the UK audience. This has got, got to a lot of people. So to the game then. Okay. Things have gone wrong a bit here. So I'm gonna just defer to the instructions for the game a little bit, Adrian, because I want you to understand 
how bad this poetry is for this. <laughs> Go on then. So in the game inlay, there is this. The welcome to the game. It says, this is the time to end time. This is a poem, by the way. This is the time out of mind. This is the game out of time and the game to blow your mind. That's that's stanza one. Right. Welcome, watchers of illusion, to the castle of confusion. I am known as Traegard, master of the dungeons. Now is the time that your first quest calls from Daemonia Castle's dark halls. Fighting the evils that creep here from depths, things that feed on fear. Spellcasting use in times of need. If ever you are to be freed. Oh, goodness me. I'm reading this out and it's making me mad reading it. <laughs> warning, warning. I will watch you and give an occasional clue. Here be oracles. Never start a sentence of a poem with here be, ever. <laughs> Just saying. Here be oracles of good and bad fame. One named Runius, one Bougain. That name was created to rhyme with fame. <laughs> it didn't even rhyme. Is that Bougain no, or Bougain? No, Bougain. Bougain. B-U-G-G-A-N-E. Bougain. 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 Nobody's called anyway. <laughs> Quiz them when you need advising on all sorts of things surprising. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I can feel my fists clenching. I'm, I'm getting my, even, my, even, my, even my little, my bum hole's clenching now. But the first nightmare quest is yours to win or lose or die, of course. That's the only line I like in the whole thing. For here, nothing is real and all must surely be an illusion. Never mind, Meter. To keep... <laughs> so just keep telling yourself it's only a game, isn't it? Uh, that's how it ends. I'm not... Don't even get me started on the, the poetic pentameter in the Meter because it's just... It doesn't matter. Anyway, the instructions are this. It's freeform, man. It's freeform. Traegard don't follow it's, your... It's, your uh, meter and rules of poetry. I'd like to say it was heroic prose, but it's just heroic crap. <laughs> anyway, Traegard says, I place you somewhere in time, in a land where strangers are not welcome. Survival is your aim. No, in it, I could say this in Traegard's way, actually. Survival is your aim. Knowledge is your target. Search the dungeons and rooms of Demonia Castle for the objects which may help free you from the clutches of the Dark Castle and its fantastical is that word? Inhabitants. Your advisors are two oracles who act as clue givers. Clue givers. Clue givers, Adrian. Clue givers. <laughs> just, what, just, you don't need to tell me what an oracle is. It's just, just clue givers. I, I know just what don't an oracle that. is. But it's just... The opposite to CFAX. Don't use the term clue givers. Anyway. One oracle <laughs> is good and often gives correct clues in the form of riddles, etc. The bad oracle will do everything it can to throw the knight in certain danger and death. These are, honest to God, the words from the, the box. The knight may consult the oracles, but oh, that's you. But only one will answer and may not be cross-examined by the knight. Be carefully studying just <laughs> the contents of both oracle statements. Valuable clues may be learned. I can tell you they're not. Your life force is represented by a candle at the end of the page. It will decrease throughout the game. Life force is further decreased each time the player is hit by a guard, for example. And life force never increases. Chirpy. Each page of the book details some place within the castle into which life is breathed when you direct the knight into it. I swear this is written by a nine-year-old. The dungeon master and oracles watch over all the knight's actions and each may appear from time to time to offer comment. So this is based on the TV show. That, not that you'd know that from that crazy <laughs> bunch of nonsense. And, it, and well, that, when I say it's based on the TV show, it's got the same name. That's that's the only it, link. It, it it's does, the same. It does name. have the same name. Yeah. That's where the similarity to the TV show starts and finishes. The name Nightmare. In this game, you've got to guide the player out of your dungeon, solving clues and interacting with objects. So it's basically a dungeon crawler, sort of move around, pick things up, you no, know, and everything else. This is achieved with movement from the joystick 
okay, and really crappy keyboard verb noun commands that neither uh, work or make any sense. <laughs> the idea here is that you can press your key, quick quick keyboard command, so T for talk. Um, and it doesn't work that way, though. Inevitably, you can actually just press the shift key to scoot through the various commands, and you press return on the one you want. And then you have to press the shift key again, or the various key commands. Honestly, the, the, it makes no sense what you're trying to do. The idea is that you're creating a nerb, a nerb, a, ner, a, a noun and a verb, a nerb. We'll call it a nerb. Um, <laughs> yeah. To sort of make things happen. But honestly, it makes no sense. Partly because the nouns and the verbs are not contextual to what environment you're in. So it features verbs and nouns that aren't in the place you're in. Yes. So when you're searching through the lists mm-hmm. of items... These things in there that aren't in the room you're in. So it makes no sense to do that. So you can do really stupid commands that mean nothing. And then Treyguard and the other Oracle, whatever his name was, you know, Begunia or whatever it was, pop up and go, you can't say that. That's crazy speak. It's like, well, you, you've made this available to me. I don't want to do that. If I want to pick up the rock, I should be able to go to pick up and rock. Not, you know, scroll through 50 items like pick up, talk, move, walk, walk through, spell, cast, jump, orange, peanut it's just random stuff and then you get then you got press enter then you got to go for the next options no rock old man no peanuts jam you like, what am i doing here so it the controls are really stupid bear in mind this is old time frame remember so the candle continuously burns as it says so the idea you've got to get you've got to get out of this dungeon now this is completely at odds completely at odds with the actual game of nightmare the actual game show nightmare which was where you had to guide somebody through a dungeon that would have made more sense so, so you've got a character that you can control with a joystick and you interact with objects, and that kind of happens in the game, but not in any way that makes any sense. I got out of the first room to go to the second room, and then I was just continuously bombarded with riddles from Treyguard and from whoever the other guy was. <laughs> yeah, it looked like stupid. the lead singer of the band Wizard. Um, just, <laughs> oh, here it is, Mary. You know, I was like, who are you and why? No, you know, so I wish it could be Christmas. Every- why are you even there? The very opening screen, AD, had a guy a guy with no pants doing a crap on the floor in the dungeon I was in. I'm like, why are you even there? Who are you? Could I ask him anything? No, because it made no. I couldn't make anything make sense to ask him. And when I asked him, he didn't answer. Treyguard did. It was really weird. I couldn't get anywhere with it. So, did you not figure out what to do with him then? No, I, well, I asked him. I think I gave him a... I picked up the food off the floor. I think it was. There was a chicken yeah. drumstick and a rock. I picked those up. I think I gave it to him, but it didn't change anything. I got out of the room. I got to the next room mm-hmm. when it said it needed, I needed a key you or something. To, you have to also as well give him some water and then he drops a spade and then you can take that spade to the second room and dig and the dig. ground. Yeah. And then uh, that takes um, you through. And it's, uh, but it's so convolutedly kind of obtuse. Yeah. And, and again, that, it's that kind of game. But those games rely on not things that are obvious, but things that you have to, you know, you shouldn't have to work hard to figure those things out. And in this game, they're they're really obtuse. obtuse. This is like point and click, but without any kind of clue about anything. So it's the worst kind of point and click. It's just pointless and click in a whole new way. (laughs) So it's really quite terrible. So you got to try and guide your player. You're never going to guide that player out of the dungeon, I don't think in a million years, by interacting with anything. Like I said, you, you move him around with the joystick, you Making sense of the noun verb commands makes no sense. The clues that they they give you are absolutely completely gibberish, and they're yes. not either. I mean, yep. they're not even use, useful in a obtuse way. These are like you may as well they may as well just be talking an alien language for all the difference it makes to you. So from the outset, when the other fellow in the dungeon's having a crap on the floor, <laughs> to wandering around frustratingly trying to commands that make no sense at all, open door did open the door. I have to say, it took me a while to get there, but it did. But everything else just resulted in one of the support characters appearing and giving me a load of grief. 
I don't get it. I don't get why that's that, that's the thing. Graphics here are quite weak in in some senses. The book page idea when you the the, the game is played over because sort of you're inside of a book page. So the dungeon's inside of a page of a book, and when you go to the next screen, it flips the page. That's actually quite a nice idea. That graphically is quite a nice thing. It is, yes. It's the only good, good thing about good it. Good idea. That's the only good thing. Backgrounds are okay, consistent considering it's just grey walls with you no know, speckling. Oh, yeah. But this was slow. It was dull. It was hard to navigate. And it was really worse to control because, and again, with those clues, it made no sense. And actually, it made a TV show that was arguably pretty bleak anyway, really depressing because this is nothing to do with Nightmare other than the fact that it's got the word Nightmare on it. And it is a real Nightmare without the K. I did not like it at all. This was It wasn't good at all. It is not good at all. Treyguard, would, his eye would be spinning angrily about this. He wouldn't really like would. this. It was terrible. It didn't. I didn't get to any of the characters that I recognized from the TV show such as they were terrible thing 10 pounds for this it got 66 percent in zap they made a comment of saying that the everything was crap but the graphics are quite good so that's why it got 66 percent, i think but if you were a nightmare fan you're not going to get anything out of this i mean I, and i was and i didn't but did you nope warning team convoluted control system incoming just stupid <laughs> just stupid. stupid like you said don't look too bad from a visual perspective the music on the title screen, it's not its not Nightmare, but it's okay. The hand on the right screen is nice. The various faces that pop up, there's, there's, the, the, the visuals are decent in this. They are nice. But it's so annoying to control and convoluted to figure anything out. There's barely, there's no clues in the landscape to guide you. The opening puzzle to get the spade and how to use it is a perfect example. Why would the old man have a spade? There's no clue that he does. Why would he shit it out? Well, yeah, exactly. Also, who thought it was a good idea to give you a list of on, uh, a list on screen of what actions... You can do and what nouns you can interact with. That that kind of way you've just got to cycle through them. Labyrinth, Maniac Mansion, even Murder on the Mississippi have come and shown how to do this sort of thing by now. We've seen yep. dif- different and better ways of doing this, so I don't understand. And this shouldn't really be that kind of game. It's not. No. Nope. It, it flips the. You don't. The whole point of Nightmare is the person in the maze is being controlled by someone else, or they're telling them what to do. And I suppose you're kind of doing that with a joystick, but. You, there should be a step away. You should be saying, right, go right, go left, do this, do that. And then they do that. Yeah. Could have been a POV game like the yeah. tunnel section in, in um, Platoon. Platoon, yeah. That would have worked better, wouldn't it? Yeah, and it's really grey. Really grey. Oh, so grey. The, the the game, the, the program isn't. Where's the set? There's no sense of the fun from the TV show, the different rooms, the silly interactions. You know, Trey Guard, there's nothing. It's a uh, big dull ball for me. And as you rightly said. By the way, the official name for the grey there is Cop Out Grey. <laughs> Cop out, yeah. Uh, as you rightly said, a proper nightmare without the K. No, didn't like this at all. Didn't enjoy this. Even as an advent, no. Oh, no. Just no. No. Well, the mainstay of the game show was they went into, they didn't explore a lot of dungeon rooms. There was, they, they were mainly corridors and then they went into a room where there was a thing. There might be a table or objects and then somebody would ask them questions and that, and that supposedly yeah. happens in this game. I did not get to a lot of that. Then I no, was just mocked I I... by by Traeger and his you know his his his, his weirdly hair coloured crazy friend. Well, I did the digging thing, and then you get to a room with two guards in it who try to kill me. I managed to open the door and run out, and then I was just in a really long corridor for endless, boundless screens. That, and I was like, oh, you know what? This is boring. Sounds about right. And that's that's, really the, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. So no, let's. This was a proper nightmare. Here we go. That's that. That's the last game we have. <laughs> Egg. Only one gun along that lot. But there we go. Can't have everything, can you? We're going to go for a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to look at albums uh, for February 1988. So uh, hopefully that lot hasn't put you off and you'll stick around and we'll get into them. So we'll see you in a bit. Don't have nightmares. <laughs> Don't have nightmares. 
Heavily frosted cupcakes and gallons of milky tea to our much-loved show sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you will find a whole bunch of brilliant audiobooks, bargain books, e-books, and more. I can tell you, David is a multi-talented fellow of some renown. And to prove it, let's take a listen to an excerpt from his amazing audiobook, Escape from the Commodore 64, which is available right now. Frustrated, she pushed the corner of the aha post-op back into place. Stay, she whispered. She waited. When it fell loose again with a soft thwack, she threw her hands in the air and instead let herself fall backwards onto her bed. With a pillow held over her head, Sarah screamed out her frustrations. If only Morton could climb out of his music video and whisk her away into staticky bliss. A girl could wish. She thought of Reese's first crush on the back of his door, her checkered love matching his checkered past of returning games, or worse, making others do it for him. Well, colour me convinced, that sounds blooming awesome. For more, you can visit DavidHearnWriter.com. That's David, H-E-A-R-N-E, Writer.com, to grab yourself some of that juicy, juicy stuff. What are you waiting for? And we're back. We're back for albums, February 1988. So let's get into them. Let's get into them straight away. Graham, there's only one album at number one all month. And we've spoken about it before. It was introducing the hardline, according to Terence Trent Darby. I didn't realize he was Terence Trent Darby, not the D apostrophe R, but I didn't realize that at all. I thought he was just Darby, (laughs) D-E-R-B-Y. All the times I've pasted it in our agenda, you've never noticed. No, I haven't. And that's terrible, isn't it? Um, I just because I know we were talking about him being like Terence Trent, you know, because he's the Trent and Derby. There's a you know, conflict there, but he's just the Arby, the Arby, the Arby, yeah, the Arby. It's not. It was never going to be my thing that album, and it wasn't because I don't remember or listen remember listening to any of it. So, no, but, wasn't uh, my but thing we went, either. We went, we went around a lot of cocktail parties or swarthy lounges. <laughs> we were that time. Where I mean, we? And there's nothing to do in February, is there? So dinner parties would have needed the sound. There'll be plenty of dinner parties going on in like you know high rise, you know upmarket flats that have been built on the on the Thames that need this kind of thing. So that's it. But it was never going to be part of our in our hour thing. It was not. So anyway, they were. That was number one all month. Phew, there you go. Um, a long time. So, yeah, anyway, so let's get into what what else the stuff was coming out. Seventh of Feb, February. Um, number two, straight in at number two. Blow up your video by ACDC. Straight in at yeah, number two. It's their eleventh studio album. I can believe that. Um, and it's the one with Heatseeker on. Heatseeker. Yeah, I went and listened to that. I didn't recognise it at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never heard of that. Never heard of it. I'm thinking, is it about a missile or is it just about, you know, what it, what's it about anyway? The album was a massive, I mean, like crazy massive global hit. Was however, it? however, the thing I always note with uh, ACDC albums is, um, I could, you know, if someone said to me, you know, if you heard Heatseeker, yeah, I think there's like 12 or 13 or maybe even 14 tracks on that album. And the two of them released as singles. One of them was Heatseeker. Can you name the other single or can you name any of the other tracks off the album? God, no. No, I don't know no. anything about ACDC. No, because they're a little bit of a singles band, I think. I, I think for me, they are. I think my experience of ACDC is literally the ones that everyone would know. Back in black. Um, yeah. And for those that, you know, for those, you know, for we, those about for those to rock, about we to salute rock. you. Yeah. yeah Which yeah. is another album completely. And, 
This was produced by somebody who produced their earlier album. So I think they were looking to get back into um, that kind of frame of mind. It's also, I think this is the last album where some of the tracks were mainly written by the lead singer. After this, they were written by the Youngs in the band. So I don't know. I don't know much more about it than that. I've never been a huge ACDC fan. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you can't not like them because they do what they do. But I like that if someone said to me, you know, if you if you give me the best of ACDC and I'd listen to it, like the best of Queen, give me this album and all the tracks on it, and I'd be like, mm, I don't think I've ever listened to that. <laughs> so no, I can't imagine you would want to. No. This is one of those albums, isn't it? It's like big, big fan base, buy it day one, and then it disappears. Yeah, you can't argue about that. You know, yeah, exactly. It's you know, they are a huge fan base, and Eleven's albums is an amazing thing. So, and they would have live toured that like crazy sound there you go. yeah they said in the, it said in the wiki that they that blow up your video was a, a line from the the second single which i the title of which eludes me now but it's about them it's about basically we're better live than we are you know yeah, which makes live. sense I, I imagine they probably are yeah i've never seen them live so. but i can imagine they're an amazing thing if, if you like that kind of thing if you like your steel eye span type folk you're not going to go for that <laughs> no if you like what was in the number 37 which was everything by climby fisher <laughs> mm. you're not going to be a pro you know i imagine the venn diagram between acdc <laughs> and climby fisher fans is uh just two separate circles yeah, even if love may have changed everything between them now i listened to this album on spotify because it's on spotify because i wanted to sort of see exactly what climby fisher was because i i'd heard it heard the name and i'd heard of love changes great song yeah yeah i heard all that and i thought okay so let me give this this could not sound more like a late 80s album if it tried. It's not my cup of tea, but it sounds so much like the output of that time that it actually, it was crazy. And it made me, made me realize that so many of the studios around that time were relying on the same technologies, the same recording technology, the same recording desks, the same technology and synthesizers and all of those sort of preambles and everything else and all of that setup. There's no wonder the sound becomes derivative. If you took out the guy singing in Climbing Fisher songs and put Belinda Carlisle in, I don't think you would have you would have been too surprised that it sounded a lot like the same kind of backtrack. It it, it, blew, it honestly uh, it blew my mind how eighties it sounded and how much you know and, and it fits into that paradigm. So it's mad, crazy. I, I have a feeling somewhere in, in my head that I've read that they wrote a lot of music for people as well before they formed Climby Fisher. I think seem to remember. I can't remember, but maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But it pro- that would probably ex- that probably explain it. But anyway, but yeah, yeah I, I don't know if it's the same producers or, but I do know that the technology that was in the studios was starting to align. So the synthesizers, because the cheaper synthesizers were coming out from Japan at the time, the Rollins and the stuff like that, studios were filling their filling their you know their, their spaces with those. So if somebody was recording you know, default setting number seven on the Roland DX7, they used it on six different albums because it sounded good. Well, they, they're all going to have that kind of sound on them, aren't <laughs> they? They are, and, yes. And, the, and this particular album, it feels very produced in that way. It does. It probably was. It probably was. Um, right behind them at number 38, though, was Jackmaster Volume 2 by various artists. Are you a Jackmaster, Adrian? Are you the master of Jack? I believe so. <laughs> I'd like you to demonstrate your jacking right now. Uh, jack, 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 jack. No, no, Kibardi. I mean the dance. Not never mind. Oh, no, the, I couldn't you know, possibly. No. I couldn't. Oh, this floorboards are too squeaky in this room. <laughs> well, this album featured great tracks like "We Came to Jack," "Jack to the Sound," "We Don't Know Jack," "Jack and the Beanstalk," "Carjack Backpack," "Jack Back Heart Attack." So many more. Does it feature Jack, Jack, or Jack, Jack? Though I don't know that for sure. Maybe, are those titles real? Does. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Can you guess which ones are real and which ones aren't? I really can't. I'm guessing Jack and the Beanstalk's not real. 
Can I check backpack? That's not real, though. <laughs> Are any of them real? Yes, yes. We came, we to, came Jack to Jack and, Jack, and Jack, Jack to, the, to sound. the sound, and we don't know Jack. Those are oh, real. Okay, no Jack attack. So Jack you've ba- passed the Jack attack Jack test. <laughs> I got my Jack Jack accreditation. You have, you have got your your Jack credentials. However, later da- later down this uh, particular album list, you will find there's a house check. House check. I and know. You passed the house challenge. So <laughs> no, we'll see. We'll probably see, not. Uh, number seventy one was Time and Tide. By Basha, Basia, Basha, yeah. Basha, yeah, Basha, yeah. Who's this? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Basha was a Polish singer-songwriter. Oh, um, it's 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 really strange. This album. Um, it was their debut album from her, and she sounds it's very MOR, very middle of the road, very easy listening. Nothing that will make you feel anything other than eh. Very derivative <laughs> of that kind of sound. Very eighties. It sounds like a little bit like Grace Jones, if you ask me. But kind of a softer, more approachable Grace Jones. If Grace Jones was given a fruit basket by a company that produces branded envelopes, <laughs> that's the sound that she would make. I'm trying to think of a company that makes branded envelopes. <laughs> <laughs> when do I get an envelope? By mail. Oh no, that's Royal Mail. I just deliver. <laughs> anyway, that's that's what it, it's very forgettable, very but and weird. But no one's ever bought me a fruit basket. Really? Has I'll anyone ever bought you, you a fruit basket? Yeah, yeah, they have actually. Yeah, Why? twice. <laughs> what, just the same person. Nice, like, yeah, like a nice thing to do. Yeah, it's the nice thing. <laughs> a for fruit basket. Yeah. So there is a lot. No, no, it wasn't. It was just an. It was a fruit basket as a gift. It was a nice thing to get. You know, loads of bananas, grapes. <laughs> So it was good. I don't know what's true. It's true. Funny. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's true. It was a nice gift. Yeah, I just found it sounds like a weird gift. It's like someone just brings you a fruit basket. You're like, thanks. Yeah, it's nice. To, it's nice to receive the gift of fruit. <laughs> I don't know why it's tickling me well, so much. And I tell you what. I tell you why it's kind of crazy. And that's the thing that it the thing that it leaned into. And this is completely aside from most things we talk about in this podcast, but. If you are a child in the UK and you were born in the time frame that we were, hmm. I think it's fair to say that fruit was a Christmas thing. Because yes. we, we got we tended to get loads of fruit at Christmas, but the rest of the year it was like, no, no, sod the fruit, you're not having fruit. <laughs> but at Christmas we got there was always a fruit basket full of bananas and apples and stuff. We had a big basket, you know, like a big basket full of walnuts and I was gonna say, yeah, it's like it's like nuts as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Christmas, exactly. Christmas it only nuts. happened at Christmas. So I think when I got those fruit baskets as a present, I was like, it's like Christmas. I was like, oh my god, someone's bought me fruit. It's not a great, it's not an amazing thing to give somebody a banana or an apple, really. <laughs> That's what I mean. But it did feel like it to me. And and I think it because it tied into the idea not... that in that kind of weird way that you, in your childhood, when yeah, yeah. We, okay, we, I I, we spent entire years as a, 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 I'm sure you did too, up until December, fruit was a thing that it was in supermarkets only. And then December, it suddenly it went from the supermarket to on the, the lounge sort of mini coffee table in a in a basket. Like, what? Fruit? What's this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weird. I still wonder we didn't get scurvy really, but um, yeah, we did. true, true. Anyway, but that's what. Yeah. So, yes, I've got a fruit basket. Yeah, I'm not knocking the giving of the fruit basket. I don't know. I don't know why it tickled me so much, but there you go. <laughs> well, it's because if it was given to Grace Jones, it would have to be from a <laughs> company that produced branded envelopes. <laughs> envelopes. Anyway, there you go. That's there you go. that would make it nicer. It would. Nineteen uh, number eighty nine. Uh, birth school work death by the Godfathers. Did you listen to this? No, I didn't have a chance. So I'd never heard of them. It sounded like a funkier, harsher blend of talking heads. They were very similar to talking I felt, but not exactly, not offensive, but not exactly like you'd want. It's a bit like going down a slide in the park and landing <laughs> on a dog shit at the end. <laughs> Nobody wants that, but the slide was a bit, the slide was nice for a second, wasn't it? Have you That's done that? <laughs> you'd be surprised how many times that happens. <laughs> what to you? Well, not just to me, but generally speaking. 
people don't pick up the dog food. Is it a target for dogs? If you really feel like a dogs, dogs aren't you know particularly picky about which park um, apparatus they're going to poop near. Um, It's down to people to pick up the dog poop, but people don't. So you know, if you go down a slide and it's there and you land on it, you're in it. There's nothing you can do about it. Mm, Nothing you can do about it. I would I would wonder what we're doing going down a slide at our age, but hey ho. Look, you can't not go down a slide. Well, that's because it's too hard to go up them. The very nature well, of them is it, it, going it down used, them. It, it used to be when you were small. As an adult, it's one step, maybe two. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Fair enough. Fair enough, then. Uh, 8th of February, in at number 12, is All Live and All of the Night by The Stranglers. Right, uh, yeah. I presume you like Stranglers. A, I like the songs that everyone likes by The Stranglers. <laughs> that's a good thing, because they're on this... Live albums, the second live album. Uh, Heroes, Golden Brown, Always the Sun. Yeah, they're on there. Um, so by 1986, the band were onto the ninth studio album, Dreamtime, and they had added a horn section to the live presentation, which is you know, very horny. Horns. Flugel, the, the, well, the flugel horn was in there. Was it? Um, yeah, it was. Know. They had, they had two, two flugel horn players. Anyway. Wow, dual um, flugel horn. There's a weird contractual thing about a lot of these bands. I've noticed this about when we're doing the research for some of these bands. They all seem to be tying into really weird contractual things with labels. I guess this is why you know some of the artists reacted in the way they did Prince and George Michael and stuff. But mm. um, it says it says in their blurb, contractual obligations to their former record label EMI had prevented them from releasing any live recordings of their earlier material until 1987. Which is I just find that really odd that that would be a a thing. Why would you even do that? Yeah, yeah. I just, I just I found that that was just an anomaly that you know. Like, Yes, you can change label, but you're not really seeing any live material, you scumbags. And I, I get the feeling that they treated their artists a little bit like you know they owned them, which is kind of the whole. Yeah, you know, that's you know that doesn't exist anymore now because you can just you know release stuff yourself. But it just shows you that the record companies really did sort of hold some of these bands in by the throat, really. And that's well, it's part you know, of the reason why the, we've never had another uh, Sisters of Mercy album, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, he's contractually obliged to make one more album for that label that he's still on and said he'll never do it. He could release it under the Sean Connery name, couldn't he? The, the Shishters <laughs> of Mercy. <laughs> What's that, I Billy? Sh- I, bl- I blame my shelf. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. You always blame them. <laughs> Marion, you look radiant. <laughs> Fiendish. <Anyway>. <laughs> Uh, number 73 is the original <laughs> let's move on <laughs> uh, there's not a lot to say about this one it's the original soundtrack to the film Cry Freedom uh, the Richard Attenborough story of Stephen Biko lots of world music on there it's probably very impressive I could not find a lot of information about it other than it's a compilation of you know world music and some you know probably amazing artists and stuff but I, I couldn't find it it got um, be, it was a, uh, nominated for best song uh, in the Oscars, but it was beaten by um, what's it called? Two Hearts by Phil Collins for Buster. All ah, right, two hearts that living I can't in just that one the, the, mind. That Buster uh, with Phil Collins beat Cry Freedom for anything. It's just just boggles my boggles my head. Also, as well, um, Peter Gabriel's Peter Gabriel re-released the live version of the song Biko to coincide with it as well. The 1980 yeah. song Biko. Uh, that's about all I know about it. Number 81, Mad on House, Volume 1, Various Artists. Yes, a compilation featuring House This House, Take It to the House, <laughs> House for Sale, House About That Then, How's He Doing That, and many more. House You, Man About house the House. You. Man About the House. How many bless, of those are real? Bless This House. 
Which ones out of those do you think are real and which ones aren't? All right. I think um, House This House is real. Yep. Take it to the house and none of the others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, house for sale. House about that then. House you do. Yeah, they're all made up. Yeah, yeah I thought they would be. Just insert the word house into things and you'll um, get yeah, there. Yeah, it really works. Number 92, Scallywag Jazz by Thomas Lang. Now, this was weird. <laughs> what is it? This was, this was, it's a jazz album. It's a jazz compilation okay. album by Thomas Lang. He's a jazz player. Now, what weirded me out about this is when I checked into the, the track listing for the album, because I felt that the, <laughs> this told a story. I'm going to read these out to you, Adrian. Tell me if this doesn't make you think of a story about okay. something that's gone on, either in his life or... Maybe it's something he's doing. Who knows? So I'll just read them out in the list they are from track one to track 13 on the album. So the first track to the last. Fingers and Thumbs, The Happy mm. Man, Ooh. Boys Prefer, uh. Me and Mrs. Jones, <laughs> Scallywag <laughs> Jazz, Shoelaces, Strength, Sleep With Me, Spirit, Injury, Envy, <laughs> A Difference, Cry Baby. <laughs> hmm. I, I, yeah, actually, mm. I put it's you, but I can now you've read it out and I can see it. There is a mm. story of meeting someone on an illegitimate birth. I mean, even if you just merge some of these together, boys prefer the happy man. Boys prefer <laughs> fingers and thumbs. Well, boys prefer me and Mrs. Jones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sleep with me, Mrs. Jones. It's just, yeah, not good, is it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. There's something weird about that. Something very wrong with it. Something very, very wrong well, with we'll it, with, anyway. Yeah, she meets Mrs. Jones. He likes to shoelaces. He gets the strength to ask her, tells her to sleep with them, that they do... But then she spurns him. He's envious of the that she's with someone else. Then he notices there's a difference. And then there's a baby. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, the happy man, cry baby. The happy man, I don't know. There's something weird about it. Sleep with me, cry baby. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just got the impression there was a tale in there. In the, and amongst that, someone's trying to, it's a bit of a cry for help somewhere, I think. <laughs> Maybe. Or old Thomas Lang. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pointlessly in at number 100 is the Joshua Tree Singles by U2. Yeah, I couldn't get my head around what that was. Is it just literally just the singles? Why did you not buy think, the album? I think so. I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't know. The album was an amazing, massive success. I don't know what that is. Is it some of the B-sides and stuff as well? Is it a compilation? Not, I couldn't, I could not honestly find out a genuine track listing. If you go to the YouTube website, which is extensive and it's descriptions of everything, you're like, oh, but I was bored reading it. I'm like, oh my God, and I get it. It's just an impressive album and, you know, Bono had a, you know, a moment where he wasn't sure it was going to be successful and it's like, oh my, you know, goodness me. So I, I couldn't get through the, the 10 billion pages of information trying to figure out what the hell this was. But they re-released it in 2017, I think, as well. There's a kind of a sort of a remake, remaster. So I don't know what it is, but it sounds like it's just the singles off the album, by the album, I guess. Yeah, it must it must have the B-sides and stuff, I guess. Must do. 15th Maybe. of Feb, uh, straight in at number five is Tiffany by Tiffany. Aye, yeah. We've spoken a lot I about Tiffany. we're alone now. That's the Tiffany we know. It is. Debut album. That was a debut album. Um, prior to signing a recording contract with MCA Records in 1987, Tiffany had begun working with manager and record producer George Tobin several years earlier, several years being the keyword here, um, possibly with some of the tracks recorded as early as when she was 12 years old. Weird. I'm sensing a little bit of, you know, the word is exploitation. A Maybe. little bit, just a little yeah, bit. probably. No. Would you record this song for me, Tiffany? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, I'm not going to pay you in money. I'm going to give you space coins, which you can feed to your dolly. There you go. There you feed go. Feed jelly babies. Coins. Exactly. It's just like, I don't know. Um, it got mixed reviews when the album was released. Anthony DeCurtis of Rolling Stone gave the album an unfavorable review, Adrian. A bit like that one from the Melody Maker with um, the mission that we spoke about last time. Oh, yeah. Describing the album as an artificial construction that Tiffany occupies with neither authority or uniqueness. Um, mm. That seems a bit harsh. Um, she sounds too much Tiff like down. Tiffany. Yeah, well, this is... This took the words right out of my mouth. If you sound like Tiffany and too much like Tiffany, I'm afraid you're done. 
Get out. Too much, yeah. Get out there. Yeah, no good. What's this thing? The reviewer criticised production, songwriting, and management for letting Tiff down. That Tiffany yep. Dell. No, that yeah, no, that, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, they said that, that she she was better, basically better than the album, uh, um, and they described her cover of "I Think We're Alone Now" as sterile compared to the uh, original. And I saw her standing there as a conceptual disaster. I get the impression they didn't like the album. No, I did not notice that. I think we're alone now. By this point, was like a massive worldwide hit. <laughs> no, it's the same guy that when he reviewed Spinal Tap's album, he called it shit sandwich. Um, you can't please everyone, can you? You can't please everyone, no. You can please me with the next one, though. It's number seven. It's All About Eve with All About Eve, a debut album. Aye, aye. Good album. We've spoken about a lot of the singles that have come out. They're all on this. This is a very good album. There's not a dud, am- dud, dud amongst this, the track listing on here. It's all solid. So if you like this kind of folksy goth stuff with some good guitars and Julian Reagan's exquisite vocals... You get a lot out of this. It's good yeah, album. it's a good. It's a, it is a good album. The old uh, all about. You can't go wrong with it, really. No. Some swappage with the drummer from the mission, but who cares? It's all good. It's all good stuff. It is number thirty-four. The world without end by the mighty Lemon Drops. I didn't know much about them at all. Did you? Did you? Had you heard of them? I'd heard of them, yeah, but I hadn't really heard much of them. I mean, you put at the bottom before you get into your stuff about it that remind you of something it sounded to me like the missing link between kind of Mary, jesus and mary chain and some Manchester bands sound because i listened to the single uh, inside out and there's a little bit of stone roses in there yes. as well stone, that stone roses that was the kind of link I'm, i was thinking of i think yeah but there's a bit of they jesus and mary chain as well i think sort of because yeah. it's, it's a bit earlier but i don't know but yeah it was all right i suppose i mean they're, they're, they're formed of an unusual bunch aren't they they were yeah. originally called the Sherbet Monsters. <laughs> that was formed in 1985 in Wolverhampton in the black country, of course. Paul Marsh, Dave Newton and Tony Lynham had played together in a band called Active Restraint in 1982 with Newton later leaving to become a founding member of the Wildflowers. <laughs> Is that the new originals? <laughs> the new originals. Uh, Dave Newton and then there was the uh, not so wildflowers. Dave Newton and <laughs> Tony Lynham were the principal songwriters for the group. Their sound can best be described, according to Wiki, as a more psychedelia-influenced post-punk I don't. I, I didn't get that. Well, not from Played, the single. Were they I ringing to, no. Rickenbacker guitar as a lead. I don't think you can just say, you know sign point the uh, signpost Rickenbacker because that's the lead sound. That doesn't make. It, I don't think it made a difference. The Echo and the Bunnyman kind of link, maybe, maybe. Yes. But I think you're you're actually accurate with Jesus, Jesus and Mary Chain and the Old Stone Roses. I think you're much more on point there than that is. So I would agree with you on that. So yeah, but it's not offensive. But it, I'd never heard of them and it. It just sounded like a lot of other stuff that came later. Maybe they were a pioneer for that, I don't know. Maybe, sort of early early versions of that sort of thing. Now, now uh, sorry, number 48, I'm Your Man by Leonard Cohen. And just before you say it, I thought this is, is this not the cover of the Wham song? As that I would be amazing. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear Leonard, Leonard Cohen Cohen's doing... version of that. Baby, <laughs> I'm, I'm your, your man. man. <laughs> yeah. Leonard Cohen is uh, very much a Marmite, isn't he? You either love Leonard Cohen or you don't. Yes. There's certain tracks I really like by Leonard Cohen. There's certain ones I don't. This album's actually quite a good album because it's it's basically him, you know, doing what Leonard Cohen does over kind of Cynthia, synth, Cynthia. Maybe he does over Cynthia. Synth, <laughs> synthesizer, synth, synth tracks, not over Cynthia because that sounds rank. But you either like Leonard Cohen's kind of deep vocal trolling over things or you don't. I quite like that. I don't know how much Leonard Cohen I can listen to on a big, you know, for a length of time because I find it quite bleak. But there's a couple of, everyone knows there's a big hit that was on there. There's loads of big hits that were on there. It kind of was the big album for Leonard Cohen. As much, much as his albums have all been popular, this was a kind of a really big one, more mm-hmm. mainstream than ever. Um, but I didn't realize how much this album sounds like Yellow, the band Yellow, until I listened to this. When you listen to some Yellow tracks of the same period, 
Really? They are principally identical, yeah. Wow. Because, you know, there's a, there's a couple of tracks where Yellow are kind of talking talking through the modern singing. And Leonard Cohen's very much about that. So I, I wonder that Leonard Cohen kind of invented that thing. Yellow are pretenders to that crown. So now this is a yellow Leonard Cohen, I think, a little bit, really. So. Number 80, All Our Love by Gladys Knight and the Pips. Gladys Knight and the Pips. Do you remember Gladys Knight and the Pips? They're about, I know them. I've heard the name. I couldn't tell you a single thing about them, by them, or anything. This was the last album they released before the Pips retired, and uh, <laughs> Gladys Knight embarked on a solo career. So uh, my question to you is, what does a retired Pip do? Turns into a stone. So they, so they just turn to stone, the Pips. Yeah, that's what, that's what they're it's doing. Because it's all that fruit you got in your basket. You should know. Yeah, well, I what's, the, diff- what's the difference between a pip and a stone? I did some research. Do you remember I when tell you, but, a TV show uh, it might have been on BBC or ITV back in the early eighties was called Saturday Night and the Pips, um, and that was where Gladys Knight and the Pips did a Saturday night sort of entertainment show where they sang some songs and stuff. Crazy. I don't remember that at all. Saturday Night and the Pips. Anyway, maybe maybe I could, I could have invented that. <laughs> You're sure you're not confusing that with Saturday Night in the Movies? No, there was definitely Saturday Night in the Pips, yeah. Okay. I might, he might have said Gladys Night in the Pips. Saturday might be thinking I'm injecting in there. It might just have been on Saturday <laughs> for all I know. <laughs> so I've never heard Saturday Night and the Pips. I think, I think Gladys Night in the Pips sounds like it's <laughs> I want to hear likely. it now, though. Saturday Night was their brother. <laughs> <laughs> Gladys Night, Saturday Night. <laughs> Bobby Night. Michael Night. Michael Night, yeah. <laughs> number 96 a portrait of ella fitzgerald by ella fitzgerald yeah do, do you know a lot about ella fitzgerald no have you heard again of there was a very there was a very lackluster selection of new albums out this month no i mean don't get me wrong ella fitzgerald is an amazing an amazing vocalist amazing yeah but i don't um, really so, think about you know, but if you think of songs like summertime and or crimea river and stuff and just if you think of the versions that you hear think summertime and they're living it and if you think of that the version you'll be imagining in your mind will be the ella fitzgerald version that you probably heard at some point there's been loads of cover versions but that'll be the one that you think of if you heard okay. it you're like wow that's who sang it there's 48 tracks on that compilation album it's too 48 many. tracks is a lot no one sees that many it's just crazy greedy. amount so ella Fitzgerald, which sounds horrible actually <laughs> that, but, just that sounds awful I'm, I'm never saying that again mind you if you split it up ella fitzgerald it's even worse yeah no, move, shh, go. <laughs> 22nd of Feb, number 20, Tattooed Beat Messiah by Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction. Yeah, I'm did not we speak about these them. recently, the single, and we hated it? Was it these? Yeah, we did. We didn't like them. There was something weird about it. I can't remember what it was. I think it was badly, it was in it was bad very taste. very badly I dated, think. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I guess this is probably the same. I don't know. I don't probably. know much about it. I, it was never anything. I'm not yeah. a fan of crazy band names that are silly, so I don't know it. No. I, I just equate them with ZZ Sputnik and that yeah, sort of thing. Probably the same sort of thing. I don't know. No, yeah. Zodiac Mind Warp sounds like something I wouldn't be into. Yeah. Number 27, Tell It To My Heart, the album this time by Taylor Dane. Big massive Taylor pop Dane. energy. Massive. Yeah. Huge pop energy big, in that album. Huge, massive. Yeah. Um, the album was certified double platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America. Noting shipments in excess of two million copies in the US. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's that's a big hit. I know, a big it hit was. for the old Taylor Day. Tell it to my heart. I think four singles off it all went in the top ten as well. So yeah, I think she was you know a, a bit of a big hitty thing in that time, but it's disappeared into oblivion now. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it is a very addictive game. 
I mean, she's still she's still trying to uh, rescue the kingdom of Tamriel. Well, she, <laughs> she went into a fun fair into the um, sort of the um, <laughs> the mystery booth and just never emerged. Did she ask what's his face Zoltar to be uh, a girl? Yeah, she's just perpetually falling down some kind of mystery corridor. <laughs> ah, uh, like it. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, someone just told her to shave off her sideburns. <laughs> <laughs> Number thirty-two. Say it again. Okay, number 32, Say It Again, by Jermaine Stewart. <laughs> but, um, sh- hey. Yeah, best known for the 1986 single, We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off to Have a Good Time. <laughs> Every other, Everything other record that Jermaine Stewart released, I couldn't tell you what it was. There's probably loads of famous ones, but that's the one. No, they're in. That's just it. So, that's it. That's just one. an album of more of that. So Absolutely. Number 41, Unforgettable, by various that's artists. That's what you are. Yeah, yeah, it's... Nat King Cole, Dean Martin, Sinatra, Doris Day, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a compilation of that, that kind of stuff, yes. Yeah, it's about another 48-track compilation, yeah. Number 48, Wooden Foot Cops on the Highway by the Wooden Tops. God, English. This. English band, Wooden Tops. Interesting. Weird, though. Um, that's the one we spoke about before with Rollo McGinty. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a name we'd make up. Well, it's, it's a the, real it's person. The, it's, the character, it's the bad guy made-up character from... Uh, uh, what's his LA Confidential? Rolo, t- Rolo <laughs> Tamazi. It is, yeah. So, but you know, I listened to it and I thought it it wasn't terrible or enough. You know, it's it's of it's of a type of English rock stuff that you might yeah. think or not. But then you know, with the name like the Wooden Tops, you know, it's very niche UK. It's never going to be a big thing. So, what happened to him? Uh, number fifty, Horizons, various artists. Yeah, this was a KTEL compilation. Now, do you remember KTEL? KTEL Records presents, and it's the most random, crazy compilation of all time. It's wherever they could get the uh, life rights to it at any given moment in time and stick it on a KTEL. It starts album. off with uh, Crockett's theme by Jan Hammer, jumps to Equinox Part 5 by Jean Michel Jarre, okay. then has a Shadows track, <laughs> then then Going Home by Jonathan Butler. Do you remember that one? You won't. No. You won't. No. <laughs> it's got oh, but Bob James. Uh, theme from Harry's Game. Yeah, Bob James, Shepard's song. Clonada on there. Then oh, it, for, yeah, I know it, that, yeah. Then it dives to Dave Stewart and Barbara Gaskin. Then Chris Rea, <laughs> Kenny G's on there, Songbird, classic Kenny G track, that. Incantation, The Mission. I'm pretty sure that's off the soundtrack for The Mission. It is, yeah, it's a good, good, that. good track though, that is. That's what I'm thinking then, Yeah, of. it is. Then, then Alan Parsons Project, randomly, Mama Gamma. Ramsey Lewis. <laughs> Who the hell is Ramsey Lewis? He hangs around with Dave, Dave Grusin, I was I guess. thinking, yeah, and Spyro Gyra. <laughs> Yeah. The Royal Film Monarch Orchestra step in for Terms of Endearment. Chirpy, that. And then Art of Noise floating at the end with Moments of Love. What a random collection of KTEL crazy. <laughs> that sounds like one of Gary's mixtapes. It does. It does sound like a Gary mixtape. Oh, you need to listen to this, yeah. Just put it on here. Which tape is it, Gary? It's this one. It's Gary's tape seven. <laughs> KTEL. As he reached into his box of tapes that he had. With KTEL hits like... The ones that are the first two tracks, because they're the ones you'll have heard of. <laughs> and then every now and again, one will pop up like Clanad. Bloody K-Tel. Crikey, Bob. Anyway, a couple more. I read that. <laughs> a couple more left. Number 68. The greatest hits of the Isley, or the Isley, or the Isley Brothers. The, the Isley, Isley Brothers, Brothers, yeah. Isley. The Isley Brothers, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's the greatest hits album, okay. But they did write, three of the brothers wrote the song, Shout. So, which is the one that... Yeah, what's in Animal House. Yeah, they wrote that. Yeah, that's the Icy Brothers wrote that. And it was made famous later by Animal House and by um, Lulu. She sang okay. a version of Shout. Yeah. So famously, but they wrote it. They did. And they, their version is the original version of Shout. You can't go wrong with Shout. It's a great song. No. So they did loads of stuff like that. They're one of those um, band of brothers that have released loads of loads and loads of tracks. 
like those sixties bands, like the uh, Beach Boys and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's tons, tons of stuff that they wrote. Yeah, tons of it. Tons of it. Okay, right. All right. Uh, finally, at number seventy-three, L.A. Guns with L.A. Guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always like to end on one of the. It's always good that each week we seem to end on one of these sort of American L.A. cock rock bands. Hair, hair, hair metal. Yeah, I was never a fan of L.A. Guns. I didn't realize that Axl Rose was a member of L.A. Guns originally either. No, did sort I? But that's where Guns and Roses comes from. Apparently, that part of it. Oh, okay. It's all a, there's all a little bit of an incestuous relationship between them all, but um, formed in 1983, <laughs> the lineup consists currently consists of Tracy Guns, Phil does. Lewis, Ace <laughs> Von Johnson. Oh, oh, that name is so good. <laughs> Ace Von, jo- Ace like, Von Johnson. I'm sure he's in. The, I'm sure he's in the. He's in World War One, flying a, a, a red. <laughs> A red biplane. <laughs> Johnny Martin and Scott Coogan and Adam Hamilton, because they do, they've got a different live drummer to the studio drum. Anyway, that's who they are. They're a hair metal band, very derivative of that hair metal band oh, yeah. sound. And this album is very derivative of that. I couldn't name you one LA Guns hit. No, neither could I. Maybe that's my, maybe, maybe that's a failing. I don't know, but I, I never. Uh, I'm just seeing a scene from Biggles in my head at the moment anyway. So <laughs> it's being chased through the skies by Ace Von Johnson. <laughs> Who's that behind us? I will get you, Biggles. <laughs> it is the great Ace Von Johnson. <laughs> Damn you, oh. Biggles. <laughs> why, why is he Bavarian? It's not, he's got an accent. It's, 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 you know, it's who he is. Ace Von Johnson, I'll get you, Biggles. Damn you. <laughs> if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> the last thing, Z. <laughs> the last thing I do. It, where are you from? <laughs> I don't know. All somewhere, over. <laughs> somewhere you don't want to go. <laughs> My name is Ace Von Johnson. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> I'm from nowhere and everywhere. <laughs> Ace Von Johnson. I play guitar. <laughs> It's amazing. What a name. I love it. We need him in our White Spirit Band. We'll get him in there. I think we should. Right, there we go. That's your albums for this month. Oh, I love that last one. We'll go away now for a little breather, and then we'll come back. We've got four more games to get through. It's This is going to be a tough half, but we'll be yep. back to tell you all about them after this quick break. Jumbo Sausage and Chips to our delicious show sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com, where you will find an amazing collection of audiobooks, bargain books, ebooks, and more. David recently accepted the position of Deputy Mayor of Targ, and yet still found time to write the awesome book, Escape from the Commodore 64. Just have a listen to this. Nell spun on her heel and glared at her, finger pressed to her lips. It was too late. Visitors! A voice crackles over an unseen PA system. Stay a while. Rather not, Sarah grumbled. Stay forever, the voice boomed. Nell threw her arms in the air, her frustration evident even from the other end of the room. Frustration grew to fear as a robot glided into view from a platform above. Blimey, I'm grabbing me some copies of that and I'm taking them to Dizzo or Lave. To get your own copy of that and many, many more, visit davidhernwriter.com. That's david, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com. Don't rest on your retros now. Hit your blast button and get over there. And we're back. We've got four more games to get through and then we're done. So uh, let's waste no time. Come, let's waste no time. 
uh, and let's get into them. Our first one, this is a game from Edge, um, not the uh, U2 guitarist. That would be very odd. Um, <laughs> it it might from, be, though. We don't know for sure, it, do we? It really? very well could be. Well, it's not actually because it's not the same thing, just with lots of effects on it. This is uh, Inside Outing, full price, £9.99. Uh, yeah, it's another game from Edge. It's impressive in some ways and not so in others, maybe. This is Inside Outing, or as it was known in America, Devon Air in the Hidden Diamond Caper, which to me is a proper Ron Seal way of naming something. So who do you play? <laughs> Devon Air. What do you do? You find some hidden diamonds. Is it a caper? Sort of. Hmm. <laughs> Devon Air in the Hidden Diamond Caper it is then. Anyway, but over here it's Inside Outing, which makes no real sense. <laughs> it's no, it does title. not. It has no bearing on the... Anyway, whatever. This was devised and designed and drawn, so graphics by Michael St. Aubin, and it had coding by Time Data and Pomola... Pomola? It's not, Pomola. Not David St. Hubbins, then. It's not David St. Hubbins. <laughs> coding by Derek Smalls. Patient St. Quality and, Footwear. And... <laughs> It's Michael St. Aubin. He's the patron saint of park benches uh, with coding by Time Data, uh, whatever that is, and Pamela Roberts. And once again, we have Wally Bebben on the music duties. God, he is like getting out there, isn't he, at the minute? Goodness. Absolutely, yeah. He's putting his name out and everything. He'll stick a He's tune on everything. everything. Absolutely. They didn't even hire him. He, they just turned around one day and he just snick, snuck in one day and they just realized, he just they just found a tune embedded in the code. It was like, who's this? Yeah, it's, you can imagine it's a conversation in the office like, who is that in the corner? <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Wally. Do you Wally work Bevan here? Bye. <laughs> Wally Bevan and the hidden music caper. That's what this Who is. Who is that guy? He keeps coming in here, writing music and all sorts of stuff. Who is he? Anyone, has anyone paid him? Don't even know who he is. <laughs> anyway, Wally Bevan. Oh, is it? It's Hagar, isn't he? He's known as Hagar as well. He is also Hagar, yeah. Anyway, once this game loads up, we have a menu screen to speak of. We don't, sorry, we have no menu screen to speak of. Just the first room you start in uh, with your sprites that are waiting in the middle of it. And here we can wait and listen to the Wally Bebben music. Which is okay. good. I, it's, a, it's okay. I quite it's liked not, it. It's all right. It's not one of his best. It's a decent tune. It's, a, it's an okay tune. I'd heard it on something else, though. This is what threw me. My feeling is that I'd heard it on something. I'm going to try and track it down. I think what, it might be... a demo or a game? A, no, a game. The, I think it's the same music that's on the Aliens game but the u.s aliens game but i'm going to check it out so i'll oh. i'll you know I'll, I'll find out for next episode okay well you do that that's your homework for the week anyway quick tap of the fire button and the game is afoot the game concerns itself with your attempts to recover the lost 12 diamonds that have been secreted by a now deceased millionaire the lord crutcher or crutchfield depending on which version you read about his mansion the widow of the late Lord Crutcher, Lady Crutcher, or Crutchfield, whichever, can't find these diamonds because he hid them so well. And hires you, Devonair, not Debonair, Devonair, renowned thief and cat burglar extraordinaire, to come in and find where they have been hidden. Sensing a simple job and some easily gained loot, you accept and start your exploration in the main hall of the mansion, and thus the game with a stab of the fire button begins. It's an isometric game. I was, I was holding that off. You see, I was holding, putting that statement there. <laughs> just holding that off until I could put it, it in there. It's an isometric game. But don't let it put you off entirely. Don't let it put you off entirely. I can never, it's, you know, we'll see, we'll see if it's a good isometric or bad isometric. Now, I can never remember if a control system has been designed, or we've kind of got used to one of these for these, or whether I've got to rewire my brain for each one. Because in this game, left on the joystick moves you so left moves you bottom left direction up moves you top left right moves you top right and bottom moves you bottom right is that normal didn't feel normal i think it is the normal way i think the others haven't been i'm not sure because i thought left left would move you 
Top left, up, I thought. Up and left, yeah, top left. Because that's I, I your left know. as you're looking in the room. This is why I don't like isometric games. They challenge the brain. <laughs> I saw. It didn't feel normal to me. I thought, isn't up usually top right, not top left? Maybe it's just me uh, and maybe the way uh, my, my brain's, brain's hurting now from this very conversation. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> Who knows, yeah. Controls were free for all back then anyway. Fire button does make you jump, though. F1 picks up objects and you carry one thing at a time. F3 drops it and F7 pulls objects if that object is pullable movable so if you can walk into it you can shove it you can walk into it shove it if you press f7 and you're right next to it it'll drag it back as well the ui for the game is pretty simple um there's a score and an energy bar in the bottom left of the screen and any object you are carrying in the bottom right of the screen um most of the screen is taken up with an isometric view of the room you're in and first impressions are actually pretty good it's colorful um it is it's, it's full color so it's not your monochrome one color nightmares we've been used to and it's full screen. So it's not your small window of horror. We've also seen in some of these. So we've got full screen, full color, isometric game. Um, yes. When moving around in this opening room, it feels quite fast as well. You know, it there's, there's space to it. It's no, no problem here. Well, I'm thinking, oh, this is quite good. The colors are a bit on the gaudy side, but they're all right. But the medium res full screen nature and the speed flatters the game at first try. So as soon as you get going, you're like, okay, you get your head around the control system and it's all right. From this opening room, there's five doors leading off some stairs you have to jump up, but there's four, five doors leading off, four of which can be accessed. Um, I'm guessing the last one, which is to the top right, it's probably the one to leave the house, I guess. It's probably how you get out. Um, I don't know. Going, th- It's going through these, though, where the problems in the game start to surface. So you see the eccentric millionaire was fond of experiments and thus his rooms are populated by killer homing mice and canaries. <sighs> These things will head towards you as soon as you enter a room and contact with them will drain your energy bar and should this reach zero, then with only one life at your disposal, it's game over for Devonair. These mice and canaries would not be too much of an issue if you could outrun them, but you can't. They move as fast as you do. They only move at 90 degree angles, but you know they, they still move as fast as you do. And once they hit you, they kind of stick to you because they move as fast as you do. And this is very hard to get away from that away from them save running from the room um and, you know and and you're losing energy all the time they're kind of hitting you and here's the problem number two they stay where they were when you left the room so if you leave the room going back through the door just puts you right back in contact with them and you're back to losing energy that's a real pain in the ass stupid is the word you're looking for there yeah that too must be said your energy bar is not that big to begin with so trying to navigate around the mansion soon becomes a frustrating death loop that's what i found anyway there's also the issue of speed. Um, so as once the mice and canaries appear, things do slow down. As we've seen in most of these, once you get one or two things moving around on the screen, not terrible, but and stuff like that, um, they, the things do start to shoot down. And should you drag an item around, or if the mice are, are going along the floor and they walk into an object that's pushable, again, or if you can drag stuff off, so you can drag like lids off boxes, and if it falls on a mouse, then God, you know, the frame rate tanks even further into the single figures, and it comes even harder to avoid the enemies and control your thing and trying to get away. And death, you know, is not going to be far away due to the slowness of the fact that it does slow down quite quite badly. When you move between rooms, it's quite nice. It just sort of flicks, you know, it just sort of draws and the, the, goes from sort of scrolls across left from left to right. It's quite nice. It's all right. But that slowdown does become a pain in certain rooms where there's lots of objects that can be pushed. Then the mice can be moving around and pushing lots of objects. And you're trying to walk away or do stuff and the game is slowing down and oh yeah it can be a bit of a pain in the ass the puzzles in the game are also as well are made obtuse it's not very clear what the objects are that you're picking up or what objects can actually be interacted with and what can be pulled in the kitchen there's a couple of cupboards that you can pull the lids off but it's not really clear that you can do that um so it's just by trial and error that you just happen to pull back on something and oh it pulls the lid off so in the first one you if you go to the first one you might find you pull the lid off you jump in there's a gem 
And the second one, um, that, so that's okay. And the other, it's like you go on top of it and you, you go to pick up the object that's in there and it's a square cube. And it goes in and you're like, what the hell's that? It just looks like a square cube. It turns out that this is ice. So if you're doing playing this game, be known that it's ice and that's needed to put out a fire a couple of screens away, allowing you to get another gem. gem sorry. The problem is it doesn't look like ice. It looks like a dice or a die, sorry, one die. So solving the puzzle is more difficult than it needs to be due to the colors used because it uses the colors that are on that screen. So it's like a red thing. It just doesn't look like ice and that's a problem. So there's no, if it had the word next to it, ice, you'd be like, oh, some ice. All right, so maybe I've got to use it somewhere and that would give you a bit, but just relying on the fact that it's a cube. Okay, and it's a big ice cube as well. It's just one cube in this thing. And you don't even know it's a freezer because it's the same as the one where you got the gem from. There's nothing to say that. And so you don't actually know that. There's another one, another problem uh, beyond the, that screen. There's a there's a pool table with some, there's a snooker table with some snooker balls on it. And I didn't know this. I watched this on a YouTube playthrough. Then the, the player playing it kicked all the balls off through the, kicked one of those four balls on the table. You jump on the table, they put the balls in each of the pockets. Then you have to get a series of objects to sort of push there's a gem appears on the screen that you can't see that you then have to get a load of objects and sort of put them in a line and push the gem out the other side none of which you can see because due to the 3d nature of it um and so that's you know how would you even know that if you do manage to get a gem then you've got to take that back to lady croucher lady croucher or in crutchfield whoever and she's ambling about in her bedroom so you've got to go back through all the rooms you've been through get up the stairs go past some canaries past some mice find her bedroom and drop it on the floor she will walk up to it and take it and there's a counter on what on the dresser and that will go down with each one you return so i quite like that that the the counter is actually in the world itself that's nice but having to go back there every bloody time because you can only carry remember you can only carry one object is a bit of a pain in the ass so like i said there's some good points this and some bad points there's some impressive tech here i think there's some exceptionally good masking of characters and items and the 3d effect is very good with each object having a solidity to it solidity to it that is good to see you can pick up the level of interactivity is good to with loads of objects to push and pull you know there's loads of things that move in the environment which is really quite impressive we don't normally see that in this kind of thing and loads of different things that you can pick up and push and when you drop them if you drop drop them you can walk in front of them walk behind them the the that that sense of being in this world is is nice it's it's very very technically very clever um and all that's good and you know even having the mice that mice uh, pulling and pushing sorry even the mice pu- pushing objects that can be moved and their efforts to get to you is good to see because it, it lends i know because they're supposed to be giant mice basically and so it, it it lends the environment a sense of uh, realism that they can actually push these to get to you as well and it's not just all solid and unmovable some of the some of the stuff can't be moved because it's too heavy but like bookcases and stuff but that makes sense so that's quite good the problem is it's the inclusion of these mice and canaries that really let it down for me. It's far too easy to die. And just to add as well, your energy bar depletes over time as well for reasons that are not explained. Why does the energy bar keep going down, just ticking downwards over time? I don't understand. The cat burglar just cannot keep going after a while. And I tested this by starting the game and just just, just put it on and stood still. And yes, I eventually died. I didn't do anything, but eventually I died. I don't understand that. that to me, that's bad, bad design. Thinking about, I was thinking about this. If they'd, just got, if they'd gotten rid of the enemies and had a time limit, so instead of an energy bar, you had a time limit. So you had to go around and find stuff and you had like one night to solve everything, thus making the energy bar a timer. I mean, and there are even like loads of grandfather clocks in the game. They could have even had the hands moving, showing the passage of time and things like that. That would, I think that's would have made a much more welcoming game than it is because it's, it, 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 it's annoying that they've got these enemies, these pointless enemies that just get in the way that don't really add anything because you just try to avoid them. They don't do anything apart from, 
annoy you. The, the game is built around its puzzles. The game is built around trying to figure stuff out and work stuff out. And having the, be, you'll be up against this time limit because you've only got one night. And then maybe if she doesn't get all the 12 gems, then she can't pay out and the bailiffs are going to come in and things like that. You know, like, kind of like Goonies. Goonies is basically that kind of idea. This would have made a much more interesting game and a much more welcoming game. It would have also solved the frame rate issues as well because you'd have only had you moving around and the furniture being pushed and stuff like that. You'd have got rid of all those mice. It would have made it much more welcoming. For me, this was a close source around it. If you'd have simplified this down, like we've said about so many other games, taken the need for enemies out. It's another victim of enemies in a game that just didn't need them. It's And if I'd have had the strength and its conviction to make this a figuring out the puzzles around the thing about where these things are hidden, could have had a decent little puzzler here rather than an annoying time drain. And I think that's what annoyed me about it because it's also, it's, it's nearly so very nearly close to being a decent puzzler, but it's ruined for me by frame rate issues that are caused by enemies that shouldn't be there. That was what I thought. Looks nice though. Plays okay in places, but frustrating. What did you think? Similar. Isometric. Yay. Multicolor. Yay. Medium <laughs> res. Yay. Noticeable slowdown. Yay. Puzzle <laughs> game. Mm. Control with the joystick and keys. Mm. I remember there being a lot of fuss about this though when it came out, especially on the Amstrad. And I looked at the Amstrad version. It's really vibrant. It's like over vibrant. Yeah. It's like, wow. But it still suffers the same kind of slowdown that the C64 version does. So as much as it's not vibrant, it's it works at about the same pace, which is fine as long as it's nothing too much moving on the screen. When you do that, as you've said, it starts to feel a bit like running through treacle. It's such a shame because if it didn't have that, this might have had something. The enemies are just a pointless addition that are not needed here. This could have been a really good investigate the stuff, you know, figure out the puzzles game. It didn't need the added addition of this sort of silly logic that you see in Nosferatu and so many of these other games that ruin them. Fortunately, it has that. Therefore, it makes this game what could have been a really nice explore the mansion game into a you know dodge the stuff game, and it's never really going to be about that, especially when you're neither as as you know faster than nor are able to avoid the things that are generally going to deplete, deplete your energy. Mm-hmm. The isometrics kind of work, kind of, I guess. Not that shabby, but maybe this is this is probably a game for the mappers out there that really like this kind of thing. It is a bit of proof that not every isometric game has to be monocolor, at least, because it is, you know, full color. No denying the color in this one. It's like, it's like gone from being monochrome to being crazy color. You know, this is like going from, <laughs> yeah. you know, black, black and white TV in the 50s to, you know, 1973 color. With you know, so it's it's very vibrant, but all of those things are very nice. But the core game's pretty dull, and with slowdown and pointless enemies attached as well, it just starts to trundle a bit, and it starts to feel very rote and a bit bit mundane. Such a shame. I think in the heart of this, there's something really nice, something really good that they could have really worked out. And in a machine that's capable of sustaining a frame rate, this is probably a really good playable game. But it is not the playable game that I remembered. Now I remember um, diving in and out of Inside Outing. I remember it being quite excited to get it back in the day because of the way it looked and the Zap review, which was, um, you know, uh, not an overwhelming in the 90s, but at 85%, it looked like quite an interesting thing. And their review was basically what we've said. You know, there is, aside from mentioning anything about the slowdown, they didn't sort of say everything else, you know, that this is a quite an interesting game, but there are problems, etc. I think it's just... It's another great Edge game. Edge did produce good stuff, mm. um, but yeah. it is let down by that idea that silly things and silly enemies slow it down to the point when it becomes a bit unplayable. Such a tragedy to do that. If you took those out, like you said, just moving things around would have been great. Anyway, I quite enjoyed it, but if you you have to be understanding of its limitations, and if you're not and you're going to get angry, which I can quickly do with games that slow down their frame rate, then I find that I think, uh, I, 
I'd rather not. I don't go for these isometric games because of this kind of problem with them. Yeah. And this is just another example. Colourful, pretty, nice idea, but it still has that slowdown, and that ruins it for me. And so, such a shame, really, but there it is. There it is indeed. Yeah. Just wish, you know, you, there's ideas here, but just get rid of the enemies. Your game doesn't yeah, just, be built around they just enemies. need it. No, they, need just, they, they just can't get the head out of that space, can they? No, not yet. Not yet, they can't. Well, anyway, the thing is, it, ru- it, ru- it ruined Nosferatu for the same exact reason. Yeah, those when you went to some of those locations, yeah, the bats would do you in, and, and it's just, you don't need that. No. No. Atmosphere doesn't have to, but they didn't get it then. Nowadays, of course, atmosphere is created by the environment, but back then, no, I'm not I'm not getting the whole environment. Fill it with rats or canaries randomly. All right, all right. But- <laughs> yeah, exactly. God knows. God And I've never knows. been attacked by a canary, isometric or otherwise, but I'm pretty sure they're not that vicious, but there you go. No, not enough to uh, whittle me down to uh, nothing. You know. No. Anyway, there you go. It's better than our next one, though. <laughs> Let's move into that. Graham, I hear you've been a bad cat. Oh, God, this thing. This is coded by Hans Ippich, um, which I'm not even sure if that's a real name, but okay, maybe it is. The musician here is Chris Hulsbeck, though. Chris Hulsbeck is a good person, and his music is genuinely good. And the music is good in this, albeit it doesn't fit anything to do with this game. So let's just take that out of the loop there. And there is a nice title screen. The music-wise, the title screen itself, Cacola. So just when you think <laughs> um, multi-event games can't get any stranger, they do. They actually go and do. Yep. Um, say hello to Bad Cat. Now, my feeling is that they meant bad, as in the Michael Jackson bad sense, as opposed to some kind of feline behavioural issue. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe. This is all the way from Rainbow Arts. Um, the opening title screen is very weird. It has some sample-driven Chris Hulsbeck music, which is okay. I, I'm a big fan of Chris Hulsbeck, but this bad cat music is out of place here. doesn't fit. doesn't make any sense. But that is in keeping with the theme of this crazy game yep um i suppose it's different so the game takes place during the 1984 olympics apparently the cats the city cats are despised by all and also infamous for some reason uh as they play host to their own alternative games event okay uh will bad cat live up to his name he has a name uh, he's bad for what reason <laughs> none of this is explained and uh, doesn't matter so here you've no. got to play through four events that is the city park the arena the sewer and the pub, which are all interspersed with the interlude. Oh, the interlude. Oh, oh, God. (laughs) So in the city park, here you must cross the assault course like park to get to a motorbike on the other side. Honestly, we're going to explore avenues of of feline behavior and and things that are not (laughs) real. Just, you know, even in the navigational aspects of a game are obtuse. Anyway, so... The course features water hazards, which are wet, according to the instructions, just in case you ever wonder what that really meant. That is a true yeah, instruction. You've got is. walls to jump and some kind of circus ball, which you've got to use for reasons. For reasons, uh, There's a section where you need to crawl. There's a trampoline, a cradle, and a swing. So you control your bad cat with the joystick, pressing fire to do a somersault and up to do a jump. Very important that you know the difference for those. Down makes your crack, co- uh, crat. Down makes your cat crawl. <laughs> Um, logic's out the window by the way here so just forget logic if you thought there was logic forget it right now just put if you've got like a precious idea of what logic is wrap it in bubble wrap go and put it somewhere safe because honestly it's going to get smashed right now Um, so you can jump walls but if you land on them you die if you've done a somersault you've got infinite cats and it's against the clock 
I can't, but feeling that nine lives would have been a thing here, an obvious thing, an obvious logic thing. Never mind that. Anyway, you die unless you jump on the walls. Um, because if you jump on the walls, you don't die. So you can go wall to wall if you jump on them by pressing up. But if you somersault, you die. Right. Yeah. You have to jump on the wall to jump on the circus ball, which is really hard to control, let alone any of the remaining obstacles, which are really difficult. The key issue yeah. here is that it's stupid to control and has no logic. Anyway, when you get to the end of that, which you will, regardless, um, you can go on to the next thing. So whether you make it or not, you get to the interlude. The interlude got the interlude which is weird a weird thing it's a city map which appears and you've got to navigate your cat on a motorbike to the next venue here in this you're just a pixel a simple a little pixel just dot just a pixel which is really hard to spot yeah really. massively hard I, I didn't even see it when I, no. I was like where am i zooming around the map are cars and things to collect i think and your next destination event you've got to control your dot to get to the next event it's not exactly clear really what you've got to do you just kind of present it with this thing and with sirens and noises and going off you're like oh okay i'll do that anyway when you eventually do get to the next venue it's the arena this is where it starts to get weird if you've not got the impression from before in this level you're atop some kind of floating trampoline you need to jump in the air and punch off the indicated geometric figures, hopefully landing on the other floating trampoline, which is kind of coming away and towards you. You need to knock off all the indicated figures and then you can proceed. You can also gain bonus balls if you do somersaults across the floating trampoline things. No idea how or why that is the thing. Anyway, if you do that and you get over it, then you, uh, you're you over and you've, you win the stupid thing and then the stupid interlude happens again to go to the next event. <laughs> This game's so crap. Then the next one is the sewer. Uh, this is like another assault course. This one has rats, water obstacles, ladders, creatures in the water, sewer water. And the same stupid controls with the zero logic. You've got to hop, jump and climb and punch rats as you go. Just punch them out. Before you're chased wildly by a massive grey thing, which is meant to be a dog, apparently. Anyway, after that, interlude again. By now, by the way, the police siren of the interlude sequence will have your eye twitching, at least. Then you get to the pub. The, the pub. The pub. The pub. Okay. Here you're playing against the CPU in the guise of a well-known bulldog, quote-unquote. In this weird bowling derivative, you must bowl towards the feet of your opponent, hoping to catch them. If you catch your opponent's feet, you have to go to the bar, they have to go to the bar and drink a beer, which will eventually get, if you do it, get your, get your cat drunk, which makes the game more uncontrollable. Like, it needs less control over this stupid crazy and after you've had six beers or if the timer runs out it's game over even though they make a point of saying the cats are despised they seem completely at home in a pub and the relative size at this point which is human size doesn't deter any of the human occupants in that bar which i would argue would be somewhat frightened or surprised by the presence of a six foot dog and a cat drinking and playing bowls olympics or no olympics you're going to remember that event aren't you anyway the graphics here are kind of okay. It's an odd-looking cat, though, isn't it? Backgrounds have a lot of dithering, loads of dithering for shading. So I suppose, as somebody mentioned in our um, in our uh, Discord channel, some of these graphics were lending themselves to CRT TVs that blended a little bit of the dithering into kind of a nice shady pattern. So maybe it looked good on CRT. It looked kind of blocky, really, outside of that. The animations are, well, they're not what you call feline. They're kind of more human. And I guess... That's kind of what it is, really. It's not terrible looking, and the sounds and music are okay, I guess. The design logic and the controls... Uh, the, sorry, the design, the logic, and the controls are the issues in this game. A cat-based multi-event game. All right, okay. Assault courses that need jumping, etc. Okay, but cats are really good at jumping and climbing. They're, like, crazy good at that. That's the one thing that cats are really good at. Like, 
jumping and climbing over walls. That's what they do. They're kind of crazy good at that. Amazingly good at it. Famously so. They walk on four legs, not two. We've seen a game that, that what's that game with the, was it that on the tiles, wasn't it? Yeah, on the tiles. Yes. You've got these cats and um, they're good at climbing and jumping. Crazy good. They walk on four legs, not two. They don't, they can jump, but they don't somersault. You could have just stuck to cat logic in this and that would have made more sense for this, really. It didn't need to humanise it. And if they did that, um, that would have been better. But in this, even even if they jump around and fall on face, cats land on their feet. Famously, a cat always lands on its feet. <laughs> they famously do that. They do. They don't they somersault do. and die on walls. They don't do that. And explode so, in a puff of smoke. So this, this game breaks its own rules within two seconds of playing it because if you just, you know, it doesn't make sense to push up to jump and press fire to somersault if somersault is going to kill you. Anyway, it's just... It's really stupid when it does that. And so the logic of using cats then becomes stupid because why not just use a person? It makes more sense for it to be a person. Just, you know, this could be, this could have been the Tramp Olympics. It could have just been a human tramp doing Tramp Olympics and Trampy stuff. The Transient Olympics. It could have easily been that. (laughs) Especially since some of the more obtuse things like circus balls lend themselves to people more than cats. Even if it was a person dressed as a cat, which this kind of looks like, but isn't. So the design yeah. of the controls makes literally no sense. Fire button somersaults usually to death. Jumping on the walls lands you on that, but otherwise things can kill you. The idea of water will kill you. Trampolines will kill you if you jump off of them wrong or right. Why would cats do that? This is not a game about cats. So, it's, But it is called Bad Cats. The logic of the game is about cats doing Olympic events. None of these things are Olympic events. None of these things are events that cats would participate in. They don't participate in them like cats. They don't control like cats. They just look like cats. That's a, that, for me. That's a kind of a key problem. Those, 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 those are several big problems that add up. So silly things like when you're in the sewers, you know, there's you're, you're, there's loads of rats d- diving around. Why, you know, instead of punching those, you could grab them and eat them. Cats catch things like that. They don't generally just punch them out the way or die because they're in the way. It's more logical for for them to gather those and use them as food or something. Why is the interlude even in this game? What's the point of that sequence? Why is it there? It, it provides nothing but frustration and annoyance to control a dot, which is meant to be a cat on a motorbike. It's just stupid. <laughs> um, yeah. It makes no sense. So why those things? Why a cat on a motorbike? Why that? Why that? Why does this cat have to get to these events across the city? Why does he go on a motorbike? Why is the motorbike not in the game? It's, these are all questions you could ask yourself. <laughs> the sewer kind of makes sense in a, in a way, but like I said, the cat would eat rats. It wouldn't punch them. Why is there a dog there anyway? Is it just the sewer dog? Is a dog just there for some reason? Why is it running on two legs instead of four? Why is it there? It's weird. It's all very weird. The pub-based bowling at your feet for beers. I mean, come on. When the ideas appear in your brain space and emerge from your face hole as words, without the logic filter, this is what you get. This game bypassed the brain logic filters of the creator, <laughs> and then, uh, which then wrapped it up in, in some kind of idea of fun. Now, inverted commas, fun which apart from everything else, it really isn't. So what is a strange and stupid game is is exactly what this is. 10 quid for a bonkers cat game based in some kind of weird Olympic-style combat school assault course variant with the appeal of a cat with rabies for me, <laughs> which is not, you know, not a thing that you want to be around. Not for me, no. this. Not for me, this. No, I hate I this game. <laughs> and I'm allergic to cats as well. So that shows that oh, I, no. I participate with this game as long as I could. I hated it because it was crap. Now, the graphics-wise, some of the backgrounds are okay, maybe, than dithering, like I say, the shading. But generally speaking, the audio was better than the graphics. The graphics was better than the logic of the game. The logic of the game, very well, there is no logic applied to this. 
Cats don't do Olympic events. And even if they did, they wouldn't do them like that. Stupid. And for 10 quid, sod off. What about you? <laughs> what fresh horror is this? It's just awful. Another wacky and crazy multi-event monstrosity awkwardly controls itself into view. And this time, the big joke is you are a cat and taking part in events like rolling on a ball, jumping and punching shapes. And then it asked me to change the disc and I didn't and it crashed to the basic ready screen of the C64. I had enough and turned it off. It literally just crashed to the, it just said ready. Oh, I got through the whole thing. I wish I hadn't now. Well, obviously, you know, when I I pressed fire by accident when it said change the disc. Normally, when games actually change the disc, they check. It just says it again. Yeah, check. You haven't put the disc in. the right disc in. No, it just crashed. You just went to ready. Ass cake. Uh, absolutely as you've noted there's so much dithering in the visuals it's hard to make anything out I thought the sounds cause I don't know if there's good music in this because nothing else stuck in my head beyond the siren noise in the interstitial phase that's all I can remember yep. sound wise from this I had to turn my speakers down it was so loud so grating just so intrusive I was like ah I don't understand how anyone at any point when looking at this and looking at things like Summer Games 1, 2, World Games, Winter Games, Skater Die, or even Californian Games can think this is a good thing. Another back of the box looks pretty screenshot shit show, this is. Um, yeah, well said, actually. Yeah, totally true. This game should be spade. <laughs> With an actual metal spade. Yeah, and then finally, catastrophic. Ooh, very good, yeah. Um, I was avoiding cat it- puns, but I think, yes. I catastrophic agree. i think i think worked looking at the uh the title screen i think that the the motorbike i think they've gone for to sort of some kind of uh cheech and chong kind of styling right, with the red okay. band with the red bandana or maybe something from yeah, um, yeah, maybe. easy rider or something dennis hopper yeah, cause a lot of cats involved in that yeah loads but looking at it it looks like some kind of sort of you know spaced out hippie kind of cat thing yep with his waistcoat and everything so i think yeah, that's yeah, what they're yeah. aimed for but it's just stupid. Not good. Awful. Yeah, I was glad it crashed. Yeah, well, I would have been if it had of. I went <laughs> through the whole thing. I wish I hadn't of, though. Yeah, bad cat, catastrophic, spade. Spade, it's I mean, Not to terrible. mention in, in, the in-between bits, because you put your name into this, and the in-between bits, it's just all Commodore font, single-screen crap with yeah. flashy colours. It's, yeah. it's just really shonkily made. Yeah. Shonky, shonky, shonky. Shonky. Yeah, when, you, when you look at something like the presentation around Hunter's Moon and you look at this, like, no. No they're comparison. not even comparable. No, they're not comparable. That's, no, that's comparison, nothing no. like. Nope. No. Here we go. That's bad cat. It needs to get back into the litter box, that one. <laughs> litter tray, sorry. Let's move along. I've got two left. Uh, and the next one's another arcade conversion. This is Flying Shark. We're staying with the uh, animal names, I guess. Flying Shark. This was also known as Sky Shark in North America. Um, this was a 1987 vertically scrolling shooter arcade video game, originally developed by Taoplan and published by Taito. 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 In Potato. Japan. Taito. It was pu- uh, published by Romstar in North America and Electrocoin in Europe. That's from the Wikipedia. And neatly explains what we have here. So, uh, it's a C64 conversion of the game. You fly a biplane up a vertically scrolling landscape, dodging bullets and blowing the hell out of anything that comes your way. Mainly other planes in various formations. Tanks, boats and variants around that lot. Essentially, bigger planes, smaller planes, more planes, different coloured planes, but tanks and boats. And, and- varying sizes that's it that's what you do there's five levels to the game each being a separate load for some reason i don't know if there's any story to this i couldn't find one i know of just just fly upwards and shoot stuff but you know so yeah each uh, each level is a separate load for some reason i don't know why but at least all the levels from the arcade is here uh, are here so that's I suppose that's one thing one thing to note though is that the cover for the game has an image of a world war ii fighter jet like a mosquito or a spitfire or something which is weird because you, you fly in or attack by biplane yeah don't don't question it <laughs> 
I do. I do question it. Like we saw Athena, which had nothing to do with the game, and now we've got this, which has nothing to do with the game. Yep. Odd. Anyway, when the game loads, loads up, we have a basic title screen giving us the credits for this version, uh, which is that the conversion has been done by Catalyst Coders with Andrew Parton on code, Fred, Fred, just good old Fred, on the visuals, and Jim Evans doing the music. But there is no music on the title screen. So press fire and let's start blasting. Uh, the game starts with your plane taking off from a runway. This is all taken exactly from the arcade game. That starts the same way. Even the um, flickery... I thought the... Uh, shadow sprite was flickering due to bad program it's actually exactly the same as what's in the arcade your shadow sprite flickers in the arcade as well so that's actually straight from the arcade so fair enough okay and the whole premise is to make it through the five levels like i said and blow everything up it's basic arcade logic there's nothing else to this there's no great shakes to the weapons you have your basic guns which fire upwards with each stab of the fire button and if you hold the fire button and press up you will fire a bomb which will detonate and blow up anything within its wide radius. There are a certain number, there are certain waves that if you destroy them, uh, or the uh, planes in that wave, they'll drop a power-up of sorts. Um, And this upgrades the number of bullets you fire, essentially, and the speed at which you can shoot. But there's no real change aside from that, that that I could discern or that I picked up. So there may be, it may get crazy mad later on, but I never got there. There are also extra lives to get um, if you get certain score points and extra bombs to pick up from time to time, as you only have three of them to start with. The C64 version is all this and even has the slight slight side-to-side scrolling as well, meaning the screen width is wider than what is viewable. And as you move to the left and right, it scrolls slightly to the left and right to sort of allow you to move in that direction. So that's that's from the arcade, and they've got that in here. So that's nice to see because it gives you more screen, screen real estate space to play with. So that's good. They've kind of tried to ape the ratio of the arcade, not totally, because the you know the arcade is one of those really not tall and narrow arcades, so it's God knows what the ratio is. It's probably one point six nine to sixteen nine or two three five to one, but flipped on its you know on its side. So what we've got here, we have the main the main screen is on the left of the it takes up the the left of the six sixty four display, and that's what's on the the left. Uh, it has the UI. Um, on the right, and the UI basically shows your score, your lives. A score is massive. It's just numbers. It takes up most of it. Massive score. And then underneath that is your number of lives and the number of bombs you have left. That's it, really. It's all there from the arcade. So, you know, sounds all right. You know, they managed to get all the things in the arcade, except there's been some strange design choices when porting this across. In the arcade, so from a design point of view, in the arcade, the opening looks up. I went and played it. I got it and put it, I played it on MAME. So I had a look at the arcade version. The opening level has you been attacked. Each wave just has two two airplanes in them. So easy enough to shoot because you don't fire very fast. C64 version, there are three. Now this may not seem a lot, but the sluggish speed of your biplanes, the biplanes, and the f- speed at which you fire means it's very rare that you'll manage to take them all out. And this one of them will always get a shot off of you. That's a problem. You know, in the arcade, it's quite easy because you've got, you can see them from miles up, you can shoot them, you shoot a lot faster. It's easy to take them out. There's less of them to shoot. Here, you shoot slower you move slower and there's more of them. That's a problem. So you see the main problem with this version of the game is the decision to, um, but the main problem, sorry, with this version of the game is the decision to go with a pastel style to the visuals, which makes it very, very hard to pick anything out. It's really hard to discern the graphics I found. Planes are green. Some of the planes are green and sometimes the backgrounds upon which they fly are the same green, and they're not outlined, thus rendering them almost invisible at times. Um, yep. your, plane, your plane is a pastel blue, and really doesn't stand out at all. But worst of all are the bullets, because they're fast, unerringly accurate, and almost invisible at times. This is very bad over the water areas where they blend in with the waves, because they have like, you know, it's blue with white sort of highlighting for the tops of the waves. The bullets are kind of a a white color, 
and it did the sort of spinning, but you're not spinning very much, and it's almost impossible sometimes to pick them out. And a lot of the times, the, the planes shoot them when they're really close to you, which is a pain in the ass. So you'll die and wonder what the hell hit you. And that's that. The the color choosing in this is terrible. It's a shooter by numbers, really. I mean, it's inspired obviously by 1942. And it's probably better than the C64 version of that game, just, but it's still not great. And it's because they've ramped up the difficulty and then they compounded that by making the visuals almost impossible, invisible to see at times. So you've got invisible enemies coming at you sometimes and stuff hidden behind trees and things like that you can barely make out. They're just firing, spamming bullets at you and there's just bullets that you can't see coming from all directions. And it's, ah, that, that coupled with the... <laughs> there was a time where I was trying to chase a power-up box across the screen and it was dead hard to catch. <laughs> power-up boxes should never be dead hard to fly into, especially while trying to avoid the countless bullets that enemies appear in. You just have yourself... A, I found this a really frustrating and not very enjoyable affair. There's no shading on the planes at all. So I don't know why they've not used one of the colours to out... Just outline them in black. Just outline them. <laughs> or put a colour around them so I can make them out. Just And the same for the bullets. If I can't distinguish the enemies and the bullets from the background. It's a massive issue. And that's what lets this game down. It feels unfair. And death is nine times out of ten not your fault. And that's just unforgivable in a shooter. There's not much more to say about this. It is a World War II top-down vertical scrolling 1942-style shooter with graphics that all merge together, bullets you can't see, power-ups you can barely collect, and it's really frustrating and really hard, stupidly hard. I, 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 I had a level skip on the version we played, so I skipped to level two, and it was just stupidly hard then. I, I, I can't see anyone getting very far in this because it's just too punishing. And if someone had just come in and gone, yeah, change those visuals, and also as well, why are the three planes in those formations? There's only two in the arcade. It would have made it run faster. You could have shot more. I don't understand it. Weird design decision. Just those graphics. They're just rubbish. They're really, they're really annoying to see stuff. And even that crap one, what was that crap one we saw in 1943 or something, the year after, yeah. where you were you were fighting ghosts? At least they were, view, at least they were visible. At least you could see them. This, they just disappear and they blend into each other and it's, oh, it's horrible. I didn't like it all. No, annoyed me. I was quite looking forward to this. I, you know, I like a good vertical shooter, but this was just let down by enemies you couldn't see. Oh. How did you find it? Do you find it any more agreeable? No. No, I did not. It's not a great version of the arcade, is it? And the arcade isn't great anyway. No, it's Flickery not. sprites. And and I know you say that there's some of that's probably inherited from the arcade. I'm not so sure. In the C64 Only version, the shadow. It shout- Only the shadow. No, there was flickery sprites in the C64, which shouts multiplexer at play, but, you know, that might yeah, just the rest be a quirk. Not, yeah, the rest know. are all over the place, yeah. Um, there was barely anything to shoot at at times here, where the arcade always had something to shoot at, even if it was a smaller amount of stuff. And the enemy bullets, because of that invisibility issue, which you pointed out, often leads you to be dead with a, when you look at it going, hey, what, what killed me? Then you realise. It controls okay, I guess. And it looks like a shoot-em-up, I suppose. And it kind of plays like one. But at full price, there's loads of better shoot-em-ups out there than this. Mm, um, it, I mean, it, it takes it does take some doing to be worse than 1942. So the benchmark for this stuff isn't high anyway. Um, but I don't think this, is, this arcade is what you'd call mega. So this is an average conversion of a relatively average game. I didn't hate it because you can't hate it. But there are loads of better shoot-em-ups out there. And like you say, there's so many of the things that you get punished for in this game are things they could have easily designed out and um, but yeah. they didn't no. and add it, it all adds up to being you know even with the nice little when you move to the left you get little extra screen bits it just adds up to being a frustrating experience where you die really punitively for reasons that are not of your generate of your generation and more importantly like you said the, when you have upgrades and stuff make them catchable they don't just introduce them on the other side of the screen <laughs> knowing that you're never going to get yeah. there because you're very there's a lot you know towards the end of the levels and later on you can, there's a lot of enemies on the screen i mean the, the multiplexer is it might flicker but it functions 
And you can get, but when you get to that point, you've got no chance. If the if the upgrade appears the other side of the screen, if you try and get it, you're going to be dead. And because, yep. like you said, the bullets are accurate. Just it's so frustrating. But uh, it's not an arcade game I had a lot of time for anyway. Flying Shark. I always liked. I always had a bit of a soft spot for 1942. I never quite got into the derivatives, so this just feels yeah. like an arcade conversion done with a little bit of passionless care. Um, and yes, they're trying to fit it into a C64, and I understand that. But like I say, multi-load then. Well, no, the logic of these games has to be right. The key thing about shooter ups regardless of the platform, regardless of your constraints, the logic of those things has to be right. You, if you mess with that logic at your peril, these games become either impossible or stupidly difficult very quickly because of silly things like invisible bullets. You've got to really be mindful of those things. So yep. like you say, yep. if you don't think of that and you make something like this, well, it got 63% in Zap. I think that's high. I um, do as I, well. I didn't I didn't hate it because I don't, you know, it, it's a playable shoot-em-up. It, it isn't buggy in that way, but another another one in a long line of unforgiving shooters. And I get tired of that so quick. It, you know, nothing defeats your esteem when you go into these games, like being repeatedly killed by invisible bullets and stupidity. Those things, those things drive you away from a game quicker than almost anything else. So it's too many enemies, too many invisible bullets, and that kind of thing. It, it tunes me out very quickly. So no, no, yeah, not for yep. me. Not for me. This one at all should have, should have been shooting fish in a barrel. This one should have been relatively simple. C six four can do decent vertical scrolling shooters, but not with past, not with pastel shades and invisible bullets. No, no, <laughs> no. No. no, no. All right, let's move on. One more left, and um, well, it's another one. Um, so, Graham, did you have your vengeance? This is from CRL, so it's going to look like a CRL game. <laughs> it does look like a CRL game. It does. This is coded by Finley Monroe, which to me sounds like an Irish folk singer. Um, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you Finley Monroe. Hello there. <laughs> diddle-oy, 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 diddle-oy. And Potato. It probably isn't. Potato. This is my song about... Anyway, not, no, no more of that. Um, <laughs> the musician here was Jay Derrett, anyway. A whole bunch of alien killer spaceships are, well, killing things. And everyone is too scared to do anything about it, except that is you. That's right. You alone will fly over the gargantuan alien space station, evading the constant waves of enemies, shooting at everything that moves or doesn't move. Hidden in some of the alien spaceships, um, festooned over the space station, are engine components that you need to win. So you must blast the baddies, collect the energy pods to boost your power, and spend the power to enter the spaceships. Navigate the maze-like interiors, shoot more baddies, find all eight of the engine parts, and make it to the end of the space station. If you do all of that, then you win. Yes. However, um, you can call, you can also collect upgrade pods to enhance your firepower. Not that you'll come across many of them. I didn't. So this game is, um, and I don't know if this is an official Zap name or if this is the real the name for them officially, but this game is classed as a progressive scroller. Is that a term you come across before? It's not something I thought was vertical so scrolling shooter. That's, so they mentioned this in Zap. They call it a progressive scroller, which is one of the ones that constantly scrolls in the background, I guess. Um, it sees the, scr- mm. the screen scrolling down and you flying up, which is, I like to think, a much simpler way of describing a progressive scroller. You, the screen scrolls down, you fly up. Ah, progressive. Um, you can shoot enemies, <laughs> um, and you can also shoot off bits of the space station, akin to Fire Track and a whole ton of other games. Hades, Nebula, loads, loads of games yeah, where you have this. Of lo- yeah. Loads of them. Yeah. No, loads of them. And they all, they all, they all work the same way. When you shoot the little elements off the space station, they always do the same thing. They disappear into a little damage top hit block thing. They always do, yeah. they all do the same way. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's loads of these things. Sometimes they're big. Sometimes they're small. It's that sort of thing. Um, you control the action with your joy pole. Uh, fire button shoots and spacebar opens your options window. Yes, you have an options window. What crazy is this? 
in a shoot-em-up of this type well. If you gather enough energy pods, pressing the space bar brings up an options window, which will is like a pop-up, um, which you can choose to either continue, abort, or, should you be in the vicinity, board the spaceships to find the, the um, engine components. If you do that, the game changes to a mini 3D-like puzzle game, like a POV type thing. Think mini Scarabaeus, and I'm being very generous when I say that. You are. Um, just think of think of that viewpoint, that 3D monster maze type view, really. That's probably more of what it's akin to, really. So anyway, it turns into a mini version of a 3D sort of first-person maze, which you've got to move around um, and sort of navigate. Now, a mini-map appears on the ship that you've kind of entered, but just doing entering that ship costs you energy out of your energy limit from the pods you've collected, and existing in that maze costs you energy for every second you're in there. So you need to be quick and navigate around and hope you've got enough resources to find the engine parts in the time. Otherwise, well, you're out. Um, the graphics in the game are all very medium res. Very, This is a very medium res, CRL medium res, so lots of you know bold base relief <laughs> yellows. It's pretty colourful, though, and you do move around the screen quite well. In all fairness, it controls and moves around well, and the sprite sizes aren't obtuse, or so there's nothing's too big, nothing's too particularly too small, I don't think. There's a lot going on. It's smooth scrolling here, so it's got one over on Fire Trap, which had that juddery scroll. This is all smooth. It's just, it's just, it's kind of just above average shooty stuff for the main part of the game. The three D like maze bits. That's just quite a neat idea, but it feels completely bolted into this game, and it really breaks the flow of a shoot 'em up when you have to stop to go on a three D maze hunt through a spaceship. Those two things are not compatible in in really in the realms of shoot 'em up logic. Shoot 'em ups either have to be big. Lots of things flying around at you that you shoot bullets all over the place, you know, that kind of thing. Or they are a 3D exploring thing. You can't, they don't combine so well. They don't work very well together. Nope. And this is a brave attempt to make those things work together. Don't get me wrong. I'll, I like the idea of what they're trying to do, but what they've proved is that it doesn't work very well. Add to all of that, this is quite unpleasant generally to play and quite hard. Often you'll find yourself too slow um, and your upgrades appear in places you can't get to and you'll die like a crazy amount. And that gets pretty frustrating pretty quick. But there is a germ of an idea, germ being the operative word, but a germ of an idea here, a desire for something more than just shooting upwards. And so I give them a pat on the head for that. Unfortunately, the difficulty also earns them a kick up the arse. Um, <laughs> cow it's colourful. It's colourful. The sounds are okay. It's kind of, in the standard shooty stuff, it's just kind of average. It's nothing amazing. It's just kind of, it exists. It's not the worst I've ever seen. It's certainly not the best. It's just there. So it's sailing the seas of average with a nod to the kind of extra that they've tried to implement with the 3D. But I think, as I've said, what they proved is that that idea doesn't work. Spending things you've collected to get into those things is stupid. You should just be able to get in them or not. That idea of collecting things, collecting things in a shoot up should be to upgrade your ship. That makes sense in the, in the context of a shoot up To change that to be some kind of coin spend to search things makes Again, no sense. Now, I'm gonna, we come back to this logic a lot, and I just want to explore it for just a minute. We, we talk about this quite a bit. Like when, we, when I say get, it doesn't make sense in the context of this, I'm not saying that these things have to be sensical, like a real-world notion of common sense, but they have to be contextually, they have to contextually make sense in the logic of the game space that it's in. Mm-hmm. So if I'm collecting things in a spaceship, my experience of those things is that that's going to be something I spend on upgrades for my ship because almost every other game in existence of this type of shoot 'em up that's where the logic of that would go that makes sense to do that things fly through space I shoot a succession of enemies they drop an upgrade I pick that up and I can go get speed up or extra missiles or more bullets those mm-hmm. that makes sense in the context of it that's what I mean when I say sense for me to have 
a collection of coins, money, whatever it is that I have to then spend to enter a spaceship to find something. It makes no sense. In fact, it's a nonsense, which is where the term nonsense probably comes from, I guess. But <laughs> Probably. But, but my, my main point there is that it's okay to explore these ideas, but leave them at the ideas and design stage when you try this stuff out. Don't release it out there. The whole point of you going through iterative design is to read these crazy ideas out not put the more of them in. Um, so something went wrong with the design process, I think, somewhere. And I think somebody got really hooked on the idea of this 3D game mixed with this shoot up Unfortunately, Vengeance doesn't work at full price. No, it got 53% in Zap. And I think that's 53% because it's a good, sh- it's a 53% shooter. The 3D bits are here and there. It's a pointless exercise, really. What about you? I didn't like this at all. <laughs> not in the slightest. No, no, it's, it's not, it's, there's nothing really to like. It's not hateful, no. but it's just, eh. I got, what's, the, what's happened with the ability to create decent vertical scrolling shooters? We just had two in a row. It's an, Like you said, it's an admirable effort to do something different, but I think it lacks decent design in getting there. And I think you, you bang on the money in what you're saying. Absolutely spot on. That's what I thought. But it also, as well, just, just in the shooting part, the, the, it, there's, it, it, there's no really coherent design in the enemies or the feeling of playing a shooter. So just in the shooting part, it's not. I didn't find it in, in any way satisfying. That initial when it starts, you get that initial backdrop, and it's just a static series of dots, which I guess is supposed to be a star field, but it looks awful. It's like, yeah, it's not looks, good. It looks terrible. Then that brown bas relief landscape comes scrolling on, and the wobbly waves of enemies appear, which are you know fairly easily dodged. And then we have some exciting blasting of arbitrary things on the floor, and then some more enemies. And they do that thing of taking too long to hit, and then they're also shooting at you after they've been blown up. Several times I died when something shot me after it had been blown up. It was no longer on the screen, so I was moving in that direction, so only a bullet appeared from where it had been. So it's like, mm, okay, more wobbly enemies. Ah, no, make this start. I found this <laughs> it was bland, brown, boring, and banal. And any other yeah, word I can think bees. of starting all with B. Bees. I know. Not sure what it has to do with vengeance, a word full of excitement and thoughts of action. And this is none of that. There's no, for me, and that, you know, the 3D section is neither here nor there. It's bolted on and, and doesn't feel part of the game. And I just want a shooter to be exciting. I'm not asking for much. Test my reflexes, test my skills, make, make it fair, make me feel like yep. I can move fast enough when I die, it's my fault. Not this. There's no worse, it's boring. There's no worse sin to be, cre- to be created by a shooter than to be dull. And this yep. commits that sin at every turn, awful and boring. And that, that to me is the worst thing. And it's a CRL thing, isn't it? We saw it, we've seen it in CRL games where they're just like bolting things into things and just making it yep. look like that CRL thing. And it just, it doesn't feel right. They, no. They're trying these things. And okay, I get what you're saying. Try, you know, try some stuff. Try some stuff in your design prototyping stage and then go, yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah, weed I it out. It, yeah. yeah, you know, you should be, you know, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't add to the fun of the game, then, you know, you kill, in, you know, in the words of when you learn any creative endeavor, kill your babies. Yep. You have to learn to kill your babies. So if you just even if you created them and you really like them, if it doesn't work for the thing as a whole, kill it. Got to go. Don't work. Nope. And nope. if it makes the, if it makes the worse, if it makes the whole worse, then take it out. So yes. yeah, that's why, I, that's why I thought here. So, and at 10 pound, no, if you, the, the, nope. the, just the, the basic shooting doesn't feel good. Nope. No, yeah. I quite agree. Now, the uh, thing is, right, we've we've got, we've gone through quite a number of games now for the podcast, and we've played loads of shooters in our time. You know, but the, I remember the days long ago when we 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 go, where's all the shooters? Now we've had tons of the damn things. Yeah, nineteen eighty five, I think it was the end of there, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. But you know what? I think I think to myself, just look to the ones that really do work. Iridium, you know, just look to games like Iridium that that just are a really good. You know, it's side scrolling, but just look to those. The logic of those shooters, they don't. They don't try and add stupidity to their game and, and complexity. They don't do that. Light or Force. if you want to add, well, Light Force and Dawn, and if you want to add complexity to a shooter, look at Parallax. 
where you do have to land your spaceship and then go and walk out and do stuff. Mm -hmm. Just think about what you're doing. Don't just bolt in a 3D maze game for no apparent reason whatsoever. Then make it stupidly hard. No. You can have complexity as shown by Hunter's Moon, but it all works towards, you know, that works towards a whole. We can see how it works. Mutants. Games do this shooting and add complexity, but you've got to get the you've got to get the bits right and yes and in right. fact it's actually quite an interesting thing to start with hunter's moon which is such a well-constructed shoot 'em up and game design and then end on vengeance which is not and when yeah. it's right you can you can just tell and when it's not well you know you get you end up with vengeance or a flying shark or a game like that or bad cat even i know they're nothing like hunter's moon but what they are is game designers who just didn't have a clue and didn't quite know what to do or psycho like, soldier okay, yeah, and it just goes wrong. It all goes wrong. Does. It's the players that pay the price for that game design choice. I know. £10. £10 for that. Thank God we have to, we play these games so people don't have to, because I think anyone playing some of these is, you know, people go out and go, I'm going to have a game of Bad Cat. No one ever said those words in the history of time and space. And that's a good thing. <laughs> no, not until no, I said no. it today and then, no. you know, cursed myself. <laughs> cursed cursed know, myself. No. Another odd batch, wasn't it, really? It was Very started fact. off so well and then went downhill very quickly and never it never got Quite up again. Recovered. No, it didn't. There you go. That's it. That's your eight games for this week. Well, we've still got, I don't know, we've still got 17 games to get through for February, so we've still got two more lots to go through. That was episode 77. What did we look at? We looked at, let me just get to the top of my list here, but we looked at Hunter's Moon, which we liked. Excellent stuff. Then we looked at uh, Crappy and Ass, or Clever and Smart, or whatever you want to call it. Crap and Stupid, yeah. Crap and Stupid. Uh, Psycho Soldier, which was below average port of an average arcade game. We looked at Nightmare, which lived up to its name. Take the K off. Yeah, exactly. Inside Out In, which was clever idea, just let down by design decisions Slowness. again. Slowness <laughs> and enemies. Bad Cat, which was awful. Flying Jack, average begets average again. And Vengeance, which was a design gone decision wrong, gone yeah. wrong. There we go. Whew, that's that. That's this week. What we got coming up next week? We've got another eight games. Still half, so halfway through February. Coming up next week is match day two. Um, so but we've got a couple of football games next week. I, mm. just I, uh, bone, I. Crunch, bone cruncher, outrun. Oh dear. That'd be interesting. Looking at outrun fire trap. Okay. That's interesting. Freddie okay. hardest, which I have no idea about through the trap door. Interesting. Um, and then finally rounding it off with Gary Lineker's superstar soccer. Here, Here we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we have coming up next week. As ever, if you wish to support the podcast, you can do that. You can go over to patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past and you can sign up for either a pound, which helps us out no end and you know just keeps keeps the lights on, or you can go for the full fat experience and get for £4.50 or your local cash equivalent, and that gets you access to the Discord server, bonus episodes early, early episodes, so you get access to that. No and adverts. No adverts. You get the ability to um, ask us questions for our Ask the Podcast episodes. You also get the ability to give your opinions on the Breadbin Awards at the end of each year and and anything like that, and, and stuff for us to include, comment and post the stuff about the uh, loading screens and stuff like that loads of cool stuff going on so if you want to be part of that and obviously help us out as well server costs and all those kind of things uh, then head over there and 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 sign up and join up um it's a cool little community building um there absolutely is and and it's a good laugh there so um some good stuff going on and also you know as said in the end credits raters 
iTunes, all that kind of thing. If you want to drop us a review somewhere, that would be share, cool. Help. Share, share this with your friends. Yeah, and share. If you know people that are into C64, then let them know. You know, it's just the month of C64, or will that have been done by the time it comes month. out? Um, it was the birth month. Actually, it was. We're recording yeah, this still in August, but um, there you go. It was born. It was, so, uh, you know, 40 years, um, and here we are going through all the games. That's it, really. I don't think we've got much more to add. You got anything you want to add? No, no. I'll just reiterate what you said. Do join the... Uh the patreon if you want to do that because there is amazing stuff going on there one of our patrons has a really good youtube channel a182 retro i think there's a lot of long plays in there al82 i think it is there's a lot of amazing um, youtube stuff he links us on youtube so i just want to return the favor and say it's worth checking out some of his long plays. He's done a, re- done a recent one on Wizball, which is really good. So I'd go mm. and check out some of those. I regularly check in on it. I didn't realize it was even them until I chat to check in. So do go and do that. Really good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, there we go. So I think we'll be done. Um, we'll be back next week with more games. Uh, we'll be looking at the TV as well. So join us next week. So as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to a pair of very, very bad cats. And we will (laughs) see you again next week. Meow. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something. Apparently, the Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.